You're a son of a bitch, you know that? You can't conceive, nor can I, the appalling strangeness of the mercy of God, says Graham Greene. I don't know whose ass he was kissing there, because I think you're just vindictive. What was Josh Lyman? A warning shot? That was my son. What did I ever do to yours but praise his glory and praise his name? There's a tropical storm that's gaining speed and power. They say we haven't had a storm this bad since you took out that tender ship of mine in the North Atlantic last year. 68 crew. You know what a tender ship does? Fixes the other ships. Doesn't even carry guns. Just goes around, fixes the other ships, and delivers the mail. That's all it can do. Gracias, Tibiago Domine. Yes, I lied. It was a sin. I've committed many sins. Have I displeased you, you feckless thug? 3.8 million new jobs. That wasn't good. Bailed out Mexico, increased foreign trade, 30 million new acres of land for conservation. Put Mendoza on the bench. We're not fighting a war. I've raised three children. That's not enough to buy me out of the doghouse. Hey, Kratom, Adeo Pio. Adeo Justo. Adeo Shito. Crucheatos and Crucha. Tuis in terra servos nuntias fui. Officium perfecce. Cruciatos in Crucem. Eos in Crucem. You get horns. It is uh, 7 minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11 in this the month of September. In the year of our Lord, 2008, thank you for coming along, making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed, yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970. The talker, this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program, that monologue from Two Cathedrals, which is the second season finale of The West Wing, called by James Lipton, the finest hour of television ever made. It's 503-733-2970. You want to join us today on the Rick Emerson Cavalcade of Whimsy? 503-733-2970 with your comments, questions, clarifications, conventions, two cents, what have ye. 503-733-2970. Richard Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, all the stuff that's in between. La, 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 la. It's 503 970. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. All right. And there we go. And we just, there we go. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio correspondent Dick Giuliano uh, will join us from Oxford, Mississippi, where I guess tonight's debate is on. Yes, is it on? Yes, yes. I mean, I guess things could change. We've got another seven hours or whatever. They could flip-flop back and forth another billion times before deciding what they're oh, going to do. Oh, he's not getting away with it this time. Here's the, I don't... Well, hold on. See? I'm, that thing I did yesterday, where I had all these thoughts fighting concurrently to get out of my head, 
is like some sort of a many-headed hydra or like one of those one of those new octopus-looking power strip things. I can't do that. I got to stop right now. Going to do a through line is what I'm going to do. Bless you, Tim Brown. Thank you. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Dick Giuliano joining us from Oxford M I S S I S S I P P I, where they are getting ready for tonight's presidential debate. Um, which may be dramatic, it may not be. I mean, the only thing that's going to make it interesting is if McCain just has some full-on screaming meltdown, which is, like, you know, entirely possible, because he's crazy. Uh, what else? Uh, we will have seen a radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins, speaking of meltdowns. She'll talk about the American economy and how, well, it's like, so first there was going to be a debate. Then there was no debate. Now there is a debate. First there was a deal. Now there is no deal. Now there might be a deal. Nobody really knows. There is no spoon. You know that much. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will join us from uh, New York City today. Uh, we'll talk about Washington Mutual. You know what I'm talking about. I don't about. even understand what's oh. going on with that. Are we going to try and figure that out? I'll try to explain it. Okay. Yeah, Tim will boil it down into very small words for all of us. I'm just going to give you these. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you these three words. Biggest failure ever. Yeah. And that's what they call a checkable fact, by the way. That's just a news story. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, we'll have uh, today's top five. Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio will join us in the studio with, say it along now, his top five teenage moping songs. Uh, and then Monday, we're going to take a brief respite from this. Monday, uh, Bobby Fatboy Roberts will have the top five pop songs that close a movie. This is so great. I don't ever have to put together a top five of my own again. I haven't had to put together a top five in like nine days. I'm just going to farm this out for the rest of my life. So Monday, Bobby will do his top five songs that close a movie. Tuesday, his uh, cohort, Court, uh, will do his top five teenage moping songs. And then I'll find somebody else to do that. Wash, rinse, repeat, ad infinitum. So that's coming up today. Let's see. Uh, our latest uh, birth of a salesman semifinalist, a woman named Carly, uh, will join us in the studio today. A woman. Imagine that. Uh, what else do we have? Other things. Uh, we have a oh, we never got to that religious nutcase watch from yesterday. We got to do that. That uh, I think it's over in the pile. Oh, there are piles of things. We got to get to that. Week. We got a clown watch, and we, we have that religious nutcase watch. If it's there, we have to get to uh, it. Let's see, Anchorage, Alaska. Right there. That, yes, Tim. All the religious nutcase stories come from Alaska now. You know that. Uh, all right, so it, we'll get to that. Let's see what else. Oh, don't forget. Okay, so we're done with the Robert Plant tickets, but today we'll be giving away a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD. Uh, the entire series on DVD, speaking of Aaron Sorkin. Tenth anniversary edition of the complete series, an eight-DVD set. Uh, I'm reading that from the copy. Uh, sports Night, an innovative half-hour program about a team of smart and likable people putting on a live sports cable newscast, much like ESPN Sports. Well, here's... So, so Sports Night is based on SportsCenter. And Casey McCall is based on Craig Kilborn. Dan Rydell based on Dan Patrick. Uh, it was Aaron Sorkin and Thomas Schlamme's first collaboration. They went on to do the West Wing, Studio 60, blah, 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 blah. So there you go. So we're going to be giving away a copy of Sports Night, 10th anniversary, uh, the one random on-air caller today. And, uh, ooh, one other thing before before I get ahead of myself here. As everyone says in five-part harmony, too late. Uh, don't forget. So I, it, I just, This has just slipped my mind, what with all the excitement. we got all this stuff coming up. So we're going to be talking to, uh, oh, today we're going to be talking to Squiggy, too. Uh, Swiggy from Laverne and Shirley. We're having a phoner with him because they're going to be showing used cars at the Laurelhurst this weekend. What else did we have we got booked? We're going to be talking to Henry Rollins two weeks from now, something like that, a week and a half. Mm -hmm. So Rollins will be on with us again. Al Petrelli, celebrated heavy metal guitarist Al Petrelli, who uh, has played with Alice Cooper, Widowmaker, Megadeth, and who is now in uh, Sabotage, and who is now in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Al Petrelli is going to be uh, on the phone with us 
I think next week is when that's happening. Uh, and then a week from this Sunday. A week from this Sunday, don't forget. And, and to be honest, i got to plead ignorance here. I don't know if there are tickets still available for this, Miss Buff, uh, this Mythbusters thing or not. And I have a lot of trouble saying Mythbusters, which is going to end badly for me. So a week from this Sunday, there's that Q&A, you know, a night with the Mythbusters thing. It's happening at the it's happening at the Schnitzer, and so I'm going to be hosting that. And I think tickets are still available, but I don't, know, don't hold me to that. So anyway, Sunday, October 5th at the Schnitzer, 2 p.m. Uh, Q&A behind the scenes with Mythbusters, uh, hosted by this reporter and everything else. All right, Tim Riley working on the following uh, news stories on this. I mean, really, just one more day in one more week of this insane news cycle that we've been in for about 90 days now. What have ye, Tim? First, electrical problems caused the steel bridge to remain erect. A woman is arrested for trying to return stolen clothing in Clackamas. Camus plays taser a runaway emu. John McCain will debate tonight after all. So as you heard, the big story so far today, so far, is Washington Mutual becomes the biggest bank failure ever in U.S. history. Now, by the time we left yesterday afternoon, it hadn't happened yet. Right. It happened right after we left. So what happens is the feds came in, take it over, and then sell it to J.P. Morgan at bargain basement prices of $1.9 billion. So that's where it stands. So Wamu is still open. Um, I guess they're going to end up, maybe they'll end up uh, changing their stationery. But it's still Washington Mutual. The ATMs do work. And, they, you know, people will be able to get their money out. People want to know the ATMs do work. Yeah. And it is open for business. Yeah. There is nothing any different. No, it, to the average, and I should say this, uh, the, the average consumer, the person on the street who uses Washington Mutual, you, you will not notice any difference. And I'm not saying that as any sort of just because it's true. I mean, that's, you will not notice any change. It's just it's being owned by a different right. group of folks. It remains open. The account numbers will not change. Uh, and then what is it? I, I hate to get ahead of ourselves here. What does it mean when they say they're going to pay down... $31 billion in debt. Does that mean assume, write off? Is they going to eat that? Because there was something about, like, J.P. Morgan said they're going to pay down $31 billion of their debt. They will eat that somehow. somehow. Jesus. Uh, so now we have, uh, let's see. Oh, the polls show very uh, little public support for the big bailout. That's the other thing. And House Republicans uh, want a different kind of bailout. They want it funded privately. Now, that's what this big hoopla was over with yesterday. Right. They didn't agree with the Democrats' plan. And actually, I think we should hear more about this to do this privately. But I guess we won't. So that's what's holding up, and this group of Republicans is bound to fight the plan. More than 21 million bullets are recovered from an old firing range in Clackamas. Governor Kuligowski wants electrical cars to be made in Oregon. Pirates have seized ships carrying Russian tanks. Sweet. A firefighter is accused of stealing a severed leg from an accident scene. Oh, and Scott Daly wants to know, and he'll also have a review of Chuck Palahniuk's new film. Well, it's not his film, but you know, Choke. Uh, the film of the new, uh, the new film of the Chuck Palahniuk book, Choke, which opens today. He will have a review uh, of that, if that's the sort of thing you're interested in. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Extellan. Hello. Hello. That's one doing? of my favorite outfits that you have, or that, that sweater thing, whatever oh. that is. The sweater? It's like a shirt, a sweater. Shirt. Thing. That is one of my favorite items of clothing in your wardrobe. Thanks. Yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah, I, I watched uh, My Boys last night, and it's so funny. So, you know how things, you know, TV shows, Parallel Life, whatever. Yeah. So, her best friend in it is a radio DJ, and uh, and it's, and he, like, talks about his radio gigs and stuff. And then in one of the episodes I was watching last night, 
he loses his job. No. Can you believe it? With a format flip, it flips, it flips <laughs> to like you know adult contemporary or something. Uh, so he's talking about it, and then it, he has to go out and get a bar backing job in order to pay for his. Uh, oh, that's a little freaky. It was expensive. Yeah, I'm like, this is not good. Well, but I mean, so but, but now you know that it, you've made the right choice, right? But it's hilarious. I'm watching. I'm like, wow, somebody on this show has definitely worked in radio. The, the things that he talks about, like this, like the sponsorships, and like yeah. he's talking about how he sleeps with groupies and stuff. So he's like a little Richie. I was just going to say, that happens to us all the time. Uh, I think the, she's the only one that... I can't even get to my car sometimes because there's so many women out there who just, uh, they want a piece of want a piece of the ricker. I can't even I can't even make it to my automobile. So uh, it's really interesting, actually, when you watch a, when you see a show or a movie or something where somebody clearly has worked, and not just in radio, but where somebody clearly has studied enough about the business that they're writing about that it's accurate. Uh, you know, can you remember that movie, F.M.? Yes. And maybe FM... No static at all. Do you suppose that FM, the movie, was accurate in any kind of a way? I mean, was that just a, a very romanticized picture of... I mean, because I wasn't around for freeform FM or anything. It, it was back in the time when teenagers only had AM radios in their cars, and you had to go out and buy this little box to pick up FM, right. but you never told your mother you were listening to FM. Because, of, because that made, meant you were ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so there's this movie FM with Martin Mull and... Elaine Brenner, is that her name? Oh, jeez, that was a long time ago. I couldn't tell you all. And I think, what's his name? Uh, the, God, the guy from, um, the guy, Fred Willard is in that too, I think, but it's a movie about, it's kind of like a very bad, terrible, corny version of Jim Ladd's Radio Waves book. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, you shouldn't really ever watch it, except to see, but I mean, it just bears no resemblance to reality. It's not like everything has to be real, because a lot of times reality is just tedious. But, uh, but then you go and you watch, even now, you watch WKRP, and a lot of things have changed since the time the WKRP was on the air. I mean, there's consolidation. Uh, you know, the, 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 the days of there just being one radio station in a building somehow, those things are long gone. Even then, things are a little more corporate now in some ways. It's a lot more... Unless you're kink. Unless you're kink. It's a lot, it's a lot more like working in an office now and, and less like working in a sort of a frat house, which is what it used to be like. That being said, you go back and you watch WKRP in Cincinnati, and there, the, the dynamic that they show between management and sales, the dynamic between sales and on-air, the dynamic between on-air and management, the dynamic between the station and sponsors. I mean, it rings absolutely true to this day. And let me just tell you this. Herb Tarlick is a Herb Tarlick. I don't care what he's wearing or what year it is. That guy is everywhere. He is omnipresent. So, and it, let me just, I will say one other thing. There is an episode of WKRP, which I saw it as a kid growing up before I was in radio. I saw it, I must have been, I don't know, maybe 10, 11, something like that. And then I saw it again years later. And then I actually just saw it again a few months ago because I have the whole collection at home at DVD. I mean, somebody like me has the whole collection at home on DVD that he got somewhere from a guy. And there is an episode of WKRP, and we're just going to do a little Craig Adams talk here. There's an episode of the original series simply called The Book, and it's a whole show about sitting around waiting for the book to arrive. Oh, uh, The Book. I know, and it's like, but you, and that sounds like a made-up term, right? No. When I was a kid, I'm like, what do you mean The Book? And it was like capital T, capital B, The Book. And of course, that is the, you know, that is the ratings book. Uh, and... You get into radio and you realize that's exactly the terminology everybody says. Hey, the is the book here? Uh, sort of like growing up in Kennewick, and they never called it the Hanford Nuclear Facility. They just called it the they just called it the area, which I never thought was weird until I moved away. And people would say, "Yeah, well, where did your dad work?" And I go, "Well, he worked out of the area." And I go, "What does that mean?" <laughs> and then you realize that everybody in Kennewick calls it the area, but but it sounds like you're talking in some weird Star Trek language to to everybody else. So the area, the area. and in fact, in Douglas Copeland's book Shampoo Planet. There's a character who works at the area uh, because that book is based on Kennewick. So I like that book. I haven't read that in a while. It's a great book. 
All right, let's see here. Um, so there you go. Uh, birth of a salesman yesterday. Sports night, yes. Uh, let's see. Why did I write down trash? Oh, you know, I'll just give this. This story is less interesting today. It would have been more funny if I told it yesterday, but I want to get it checked off the list. So yesterday, Wednesday, so it was Laura and I's anniversary, and, you know. How many years? Uh, mm, been married, what, like three years? Something like that. To be fair, she doesn't know either. Okay. Because we were actually talking, well, because, you know, for many... we got married when we were on Max, and so that was like three or four years ago. I think ago. it's four, maybe, but... Four, yeah. And lest anybody's just thinking I'm like the worst husband ever, I mean, I am, but for I other reasons... I forgot her birthday. Well, I forgot her birthday, but for, for a couple of years, she, even she and I couldn't remember what the day was. Actually, this is completely true. We could not remember what day we got married, because it's not that it's not a special day and a joining of man and woman and whatever, but it's like you've been together for like nine years. I mean, really, and it was a marriage... I mean, the wedding, there was like three people there. It was three people, and the wedding, so I swear to Christ, the wedding took less than ten minutes. Uh, and then we walked up the street, and everybody had cheap margaritas. And, and that, that was it, the end. So I remember when you told me that. I was, I was surprised. Yeah, well, because it wasn't, I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's not a big deal in the sort of philosophical sense, but the wedding itself was not a big deal. Well, you I had mean, them together for quite some yeah, time. I mean, and it was a very, it, you know, it was in a very... The eyes of the Lord. It was, that's what I'm saying, Tim. It was a, a low-key wedding. But so we couldn't even remember what the day was for the longest time. And finally, her mother, my mother-in-law, was like, you were married on the 24th for the love of, you know. And so we wrote it down. But last night we were talking about it. We're like, what? what What? year did we get married? And actually, neither of us could remember right off, and we didn't care enough to go look it up. So I think it's four years, but even she doesn't know. I think it might be. No, it's four years. See? So anyway, so Wednesday was our anniversary, blah, 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 blah. We're going to go out to dinner, but that just didn't happen because she was working late and I was working late. You know, like. It's weird. I can't picture a time when you were never not married to Laura. Right. Well, I've yeah. just kind of been lame forever. Uh, so we decided to put off our actual, you know, we're going to go out to dinner on, on Saturday and actually do, you know, go out and actually have a whole evening together and whatever. But uh, but Wednesday, the, Wednesday, we just we just ran out of time. And she, like I said, she was working really late. And we were exhausted. And she actually wanted to go home and watch political coverage on CNN because I've managed to make her just as boring as I am. And so she actually calls me at work. This is why I love Lara. This is why she's the best wife ever. She calls me at work and she goes, all right, so I know it's our anniversary, but I don't really want to go out. I want to stay at home and watch CNN. So why don't we go out on Saturday tonight? Why don't we have a white trash wedding dinner, you know, anniversary dinner? She's like, why don't you go out and just find some trash food for us? And we'll be hicks tonight. And then we'll try to be sophisticated on Saturday. And I said, like, done and done. And so on Wednesday for our anniversary, we did, in fact, have the white trash anniversary dinner. I won't identify the business. I will say that I went to, um, and this was her choice, by the way. She specifically asked for this food on Wednesday because she's a rube. My wife asked me to go to, how will I describe this? She asked me to pick up dinner from a, a pizza outlet most known for their incredibly low prices. No, no, not that. No, you're thinking way too high. I mean, it, it, I don't even know how to... I can't... I probably can't give any more descriptions without without identifying the chain, and I don't want to do that. No, not at Walmart. <laughs> um, it, was a, it was a national pizza chain known for having, like, rock-bottom prices. Okay. I mean, like, you could buy two of their pizzas with whatever you find underneath your couch cushions. Uh, and so I went there, and by the way, I had to drive to Gresham. So I drove, I had to drive for 25 of minutes there, pick it up, wait for it, you put it in the car, drive 25 minutes back, and we got like a slice and a half in. We're like, this is crap. This is this is just awful. Uh, so I brought it here, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna leave it on the kitchen for the weekenders because I know that it'll be gone. So, but that's why she's. You brought pizza? 
Yeah, but it's from you don't want this pizza. Oh. Believe believe me. And look, any pizza's I woke good. I this morning wanting pizza so badly. Well, actually, I'll lie. I ate a piece of it this morning for breakfast, but it wasn't any good. Oh. Um, so I'm going to put it on the kitchen table so the weekenders can have it. But it was. But that's why she's fantastic. She's like, would you buy me something trashy? Uh, and then so Saturday we're going to do the actual deal. So then last night we were sitting on the couch watching again election coverage because we're retards. And she, we were talking about Katie Couric because there's that thing where Katie Couric is, quote, interviewing Sarah Palin. And have you noticed this incredibly soft-focused lens they keep using on Katie Couric? Yeah. I mean... It's a simple shepherd lens. It's like it's moonlighting. Be, yeah, being filmed through cheesecloth or something. And it was like this greatest little, like, alley-oop to Lara. I said, hey, they're using a soft-focused lens on Katie Couric. And without even looking up, Lara goes, it's because she's old. That's, that was like her only response. She's soft like Charmin. Well, you know, they, but the thing is, they don't even use that on Sarah Palin. On Sarah Palin, they're using a normal lens. On Katie Couric, it is this lens. It's like they're filming it through Vaseline. I think just to cover her many, many, many thousands of deep wrinkles. So, I mean, it, it really makes her look like she's in a bad porn film. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, and then the Clinton thing about Sarah Palin. So they showed Bill Clinton talking about Sarah Palin, and he did get just like this smirk on his face that only a real player gets. And Larry King was like, uh, tell me, what do you think of Governor Palin? And Bill Clinton, he smirks for just a second, just enough to let all the guys in the audience know what he's thinking. He goes, well, I do think she's very appealing. <laughs> that was the quote. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, I mean, man, i vote that guy into office again right now if I could. We should totally, this should have been the year where we demanded to have Bill Clinton back. Those were good times. All right. Um, let's see. Do we have anything else to talk about? The debate. Uh, so don't forget, Mythbusters is going to be uh, a week from this Sunday at the Schnitzer. Behind the scenes, Mythbusters, 2 o'clock. I'll be the moderator for that. Uh, so uh, you should get online and see if tickets are still available. I, I can't even, I'm not even going to say that they are. I don't really know. Uh, the debate is happening tonight, 6 o'clock, yes. allegedly. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's it. I mean, I have some other stuff, but we should probably take a break here. Maybe we'll do a couple calls and then break and come back and, and try to just sort of, um, sort, of, sort of get things taken care of here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Speak now. Well, Rick, when I called up the first time, well, when I called up just now, I only had one thing. Now I have three things. Happy anniversary for the first. Mm -hmm. And uh, I gave up a little bit when Tim said the steel bridge was a wreck. That was great. But uh, yesterday when you were doing the uh, birth of a salesman. Yeah. And you guys were also doing the Led Zeppelin uh, line, you yes, know, sir. for the tickets or whatever. Yes, sir. Uh, did you mean to do the part of the first line out of the immigrant song from the land of the ice and snow yes i did that was uh that was the zeppelin lyric yesterday because yesterday's uh sales uh, birth of a salesman semifinalist was from milwaukee wisconsin and i said That's he right. comes from the land of ice and snow uh, my days must be running together because i thought yesterday was uh nobody's fault but mine but maybe that was wednesday no, that, was, that was two days ago oh my god get off the, get off the junk man <laughs> no joke. Uh, what's your third thing Ah, uh, well, the second thing was Tim, and the first thing was your anniversary. There's ah, the third. Excellent. All right. Thank you, my first friend. caller, please don't suck. Ah, there you go. One more. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick Emerson. You. This is Just Climb the Sex Spot. You're, you're going to just climb the... Oh, Jeff, climb the sex spot. The sex spot. I thought you were just climbing the sex spot, and that was... <laughs> That's on our HD channel. Uh, yes, hello, Jeff Klein. How are you, sir? Good. I was really just calling to talk to Richie, but are you got, are you in um, interviewing Squiggy today? Uh, yeah, later on, 2 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to Leonard Squigmore. I'm related to him. Really, are you? By marriage. That's it. Do you tell people that? Like, is that a thing you volunteer at cocktail parties? No, but I just remembered it when you uh, heard that you were going to have him on the air. Yeah, so. he's going to be in town this weekend because they're showing uh, used cars at the Laurelhurst. Uh, so we're going to talk to him a bit about that. 
Well, then, good. Now I don't have to tell Richie to tell you. All right, then. Thank you, my friend. Hey, uh, well, never mind. I'll shoot you. I'm going to ask you a question. I'll shoot you an email about something later up. Okay. All right, thank you. There you go. Bye. Thank you, Wolfman. Call me. We'll do lunch. All right. Everybody ready to refer a break? Anything else we need to do? Anything else we need to talk about? No. You know what I brought in for you today, Tim? What's that? Because of your excellent top five on uh, Wednesday, which just left it. I mean, everybody else is just... The shadow of your top five now looms so large over everybody else's submissions that people, I think, are now afraid that they can't measure up to the greatness of your top five. Some people in this building haven't done one yet. No, no, they haven't. Who are you thinking of specifically? Lisa hasn't done one yet. Lisa Wood? Yes. All right, fair enough. Well, I'd like to hear Lisa How about Wood? Big Jim? Has he done one? No, he hasn't. There are two oh, people. Fix their little red wagons. I brought in I Love the Dead by Alice Cooper. I don't really know that I'm going to have the guts to play it. I'm going to have to think about it. I haven't that. heard it in a long time. I heard it. I don't listen to that song a lot because it's evil. I played it for uh, Court and Fatboy the other day, and I don't have time to tell the story, but when we come back later on, remind me to tell you about when I played your Alice Cooper uh, song, I Love the Dead, the one that you almost put in your top five. I played it for Court and Fatboy. Remind me to, to recreate that experience for you, and I've got the song. I might play it later, but... Maybe not. I think it's far worse than you remember it being. It's way creepier than you re than you remember it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it, even in my memory, that song is pretty awful. But listening to it now, it's hard to believe that that was ever issued by a major American record company, especially 30 years ago. We'll take a break. Back after this with uh, Dick Uliano, Lisa Desjardins, uh, Steve Kastenbaum. Your phone calls, Tim Riley, all of that. Don't go anywhere. What a day. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for coming along. On uh, just one moment, we will resume with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. We have some uh, further updates and clarification about the state of the financial world. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill. CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hey there. H how are you today? Oh, you know, just full of life. Are you really full of life? <laughs> I'm not, maybe not full of life, no. But you, I've, got, I've been, I've uh, probably got a, a good carb and sugar high going. You have a moderate dollop of life within you. I, I am functioning off of um, a bagel and a half and a handful of cookie crisp. Good. You are fantastic. That's why that you know that's why you're one of our favorite people right there. Uh, so before we just uh, dive into this, you tell me what kind of a timeline you're on right now. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You got it. I'll tell you. I'll let you know when I gotta go. I, I think like, I gotta got a good seven minutes. Okay. So like we'll aim for like 45 or so. Yeah. That's All right. Uh. Well, before we do anything else, so let's welcome uh, Tim Riley, news director for AM 970 here. So Tim, you have a uh, a clarification or an update on that Washington Mutual business. So the Washington Mutual collapsed yesterday. Happened after panic depositors withdrew almost $18 billion since September 15th. Federal regulators declared the floundering thrift, quote, unsafe and unsound, and then shuttered it. Then the Office of Thrift Supervision promptly sold Washington Mutual's branch network to J.P. Morgan Chase, make it the largest U.S. bank by deposits. J.P. Morgan paid $2 billion for the Seattle-based thrift, with assets worth more than $300 billion. That's the equivalent of paying just two grand for a house worth a half a million dollars, or less than a half a cent on the dollar. Wow. So once again, this happened after panic depositors withdrew almost $18 billion since September 15th. And I was looking at their year-to-year -year stock, uh, and it went from like 42 to I think $1.50 or something like that. Uh, all right, so uh, so then we will bring you in, Lisa, because you, you know more about uh, money than most people. So I, I don't know. So so where are we at? If it was like, I hate to use the phrase, deal or no deal, but I mean, really, what, where are we with everything? Oh, 
this is Congress just loves playing this game. Um, you know, when we talked yesterday, hey, it's a deal. They're going to the White House. It's you know, we're moving, we're grooving. Um, and then of course it was just a giant kind of like weird dynasty Joan Collins cat fight in the White House, and everything fell apart. Uh, then this morning, nobody knew what was going on, and now uh, it actually looks like they're getting back on track. It almost seems like Congress kind of has some sort of legislative bulimia. Like, they, they do this a lot, where they kind of just binge and then purge, and then they finally come back together after they've had this meltdown, and that's when they actually produce something. That's what we see now. The deal is, last yesterday, House Republicans went to that White House meeting and said, we are not on board this plan. We've got this whole other plan. People said, well, what is that plan? They said, well... Oh, we're going to tell you later. And they, you it's know, a secret plan. <laughs> it's a secret. Nice, nice West Wing reference. Um, they, they, they have been talking about this plan all week, but no one's really paid attention. No one really thought House leadership was going to sign on, but they did yesterday. House Republican leadership. Their, their idea is to not buy out all of this bad Wall Street debt, but instead insure it so that private companies will buy it with some kind of federal uh, backing. It, it's, it's a little bit complicated, and uh, Democrats say that Secretary Paulson has already told them <clears throat> that it won't work, uh, but Republicans in the House like it because they don't want taxpayers spending all this money outright. Uh, so that's their plan. Negotiations get back going last night. Everyone's all grumpy and angry after the White House, uh, and then Everyone shows up at this meeting except for House Republicans. They, do, they were not participating in these negotiations at all until just a half hour ago. Uh. So all morning long it's been this question of are House Republicans going to talk? What are, what, are they, what are those guys doing? What's going on? And now they are coming to the table and saying, well, we finally feel like you guys are listening to us. Uh, so we're here. And, you know, and they say that no one's taken them seriously all week and they had to do all this to get attention. I question that, but that's, that's what they say. Uh, all right. I'm going to make one observation, and then I have a question for you. Okay. And I, this observation, I mean this only in the most academic sense. I want to be very clear about that. I, I, I am only saying this from the vantage point of... Uh-oh. I'm, I'm just... Because I want to make sure that the, the, the people understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and actually on my, uh, my, my space page, I've seen a few comments to this effect as well, so I'm not the only one thinking this. I do believe, in a very real sense, that situations like this and the perceived or real incompetence or inefficiency uh, that we're seeing here in terms of solving it, this really, at least in smaller countries or in an earlier time or both, this is really why revolutions happen. I really do mean that. Because, because at a certain point, people or a small group of people or the whole country is just sitting there going like, look, I, you know, I got no bread. It, literally and figuratively, I got no bread. You're not doing anything. The whole co- economy's going busto. You're just sitting there fighting and squabbling over it like children. Half of you aren't even showing up to the meeting. We've got, you know, guys who are raking in forty grand a week, uh, making business deals. They know we're going to sink everything. At the end, the middle class, the working class, the lower class are all taking it in the shorts. All of the guys who ran the companies are sitting there with their feet in the sands of Maui somewhere, just taking it in a tan. You know, enough of this. Uh, you know, th- 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 we got to step in, and we're just gonna we're gonna hard boot the whole system, and we're gonna start over again uh, with a whole different group of people right now uh, by force if necessary. And I'm not saying that's gonna happen. We're past the point, I think, in America where that sort of thing could could take place. It, you know, just again, just speaking academically, but it, but this and is what leads to it, yeah. this is what leads to societies just coming apart at the, at the seams. I'm not trying to sound melodramatic, but I mean, 
It is that it is that lethal combination of anger and that sort of feeling of impotence, you know, that impotent rage where, mm-hmm. I mean, I would think, and I think John King did a whole series of things on this on CNN, where he was just going out and talking to, as they say, the people who are just so unbelievably furious about this, right. but have no outlet for their anger at all. And so that leads into a question. And my wife had this question, and I didn't have the answer to it, but I knew you kind of would, at least. Um, you hear about this, you know, $700 billion or a trillion or whatever, and at the same time you hear these stories about how the auto industry wants some money. Yeah. you got the businesses, you know, kind of got their hand out saying, like, hey, a little help. Yeah. And so Laura's question was, specifically speaking, is where is this money going? In other words, is some of this money going to a specific company, uh, you know, not just some amorphous group of bankers, but is some of this money going to specific companies? And if so, she actually just said, look, is there like some list? Like, can I go online somewhere and see which companies are asking for money? There's not. And, and that's part of the reason that so many people have so many problems with this, with this bill. You know, the president presented this and he didn't just pay, present a three-page summary. Uh, some people kind of reported that way. I, I, wonder, I hope I wasn't one of them on Monday. Uh, what the president actually sent to Capitol Hill was a three-page bill, and, and it, it is very broad. It basically just empowers the Treasury Secretary uh, to spend up to $700 billion on mortgage-backed securities that are at risk. And it, it lists a couple of things he shouldn't do, but it's, it's incredibly broad, and, and he has in the entire – um, decision-making power over what what is purchased, what is not, who is helped, who is not, uh, and, and what guidelines they set up for that. Now, he said, Treasury Secretary Paulson did say in one committee this week that uh, that he he thinks this is going to be hundreds, if not thousands, of banks, big and small, that will be affected. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I, got, you yeah. know, I got more things to ask, but you know what? It's just going to lead to more questions that are going to lead to more questions that are going to lead to more questions. Yeah, so yeah. I, uh, I got on, and, and, and... As I emailed you, I do have to, I do have to take uh, on-air credit for, for, it turns out, being right that yesterday did get crazier than the day before. Yeah, see, no, we actually, I saw that email to, to Sarah myself that did, because you had said on Wednesday, you said, hey, this is just the beginning. Thursday's going to be even more effed. And then on Thursday, you said, well, I don't think so. But then, of course, it was. So you see and it was just an hour and a half later. Yeah. As, our, as our friends, the Latter-day Saints, always say, you got to listen to that still, small voice inside. Yes. So, exactly. Uh, all right. So uh, real quickly here, and then we got to uh, roll to talk to our good friend, Dick Uliano. Um I got a scoot, I think. I think that, like, you know, I didn't think McCain was going to show up. So um, are you on a scale of 1 to 10, final question, how surprised are you that McCain actually is going to be there? Uh, not, not. Not. Surprised. Okay. Fair enough. Nope. All right. Uh, enjoy your weekend. You on Monday? I'm on Monday. All right, we'll talk to you then. Okay, bye. Thank you, Lisa. All right, there you go. Fantastic. God, between the two of you, you guys just never stop talking. <laughs> it's a talk show. I know. It's just like, and I can hear both of you waiting for the other person to stop talking so that you can start talking. What would you have me do, Sarah? Just... <laughs> All right, I know, I know. It's there's a, Actually, there's a great little moment uh, in... Sports night, uh, second season. Here's the other reason you got to watch Sports Night, uh, is because in the second season they bring in a, a ratings consultant. They bring a consultant in to work with the show to help it reach better, you know, shares and key demos. And I got to tell you, Aaron Sorkin or somebody has worked with a consultant in the past. Somebody there, because uh, and it's William H Macy who comes in and plays the consultant. Uh, he looks like he'd play a good one. But you know what? He is exactly like every consultant I have ever worked with. I mean, it's creepy. It is dead 
on. His name is Sam Donovan, the ratings consultant, and he is exactly like every consultant I've ever had. It's pretty frightening, actually. In fact, not only is he like every consultant I've ever had, but the character Sam Donovan on, on Sports Night, who was the, and we're giving away that series all this week, it, the Sam Donovan, the ratings expert, is not only like consultants in general, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, he is in every way a, a clone, a doppel for this guy named Brian Jennings, who was my first radio consultant and who actually uh, was the one who hooked me up with with uh, with uh, um, um, my gig in Salt Lake, worked with Bruce Agler. Mm-hmm. I mean, he Brian Jennings is the first guy who ever looked at me and said, kid, I think you could go places. But this Sam Donovan guy is like, exactly, it's a clone for him. But um, but there's there's a great there's a great moment where. The character of Sam Donovan is talking to Dan Rydell, who's one of the on-air hosts, and they're having a little, uh, you know, discussion about why can't we be friends or whatever. And uh, and Dan says, "Haven't you noticed that we're funny people?" And uh, Sam Donovan says, "Well, I've noticed that you have the I says I noticed you do have the ability to talk at great length and at a blinding speed at people, whether or not they appear interested in what you're saying." Mm-hmm. And I really do. That's us too. I mean, I and me. Uh, that that kind of is one of my only abilities. Okay. Well, we're going to talk to a CNN radio correspondent, Dick Uliano, here in just a moment. Let's uh, take a breath. Gah! All right. So I got to bring that. Uh, so that pizza, I, it's in the truck right now. You left um, it in your truck? Well, it's like 40 degrees outside. And let's be, what do you care? It's pizza that's well, been sitting at room temperature for like an hour. You eat crap that's been sitting in the kitchen. I this know. is sitting in a closed, sealed box in my truck. It's been out there for like an hour and a half. Let's, you know, it's not like it's the biggest deal. But uh, I'm going to bring it and put it on the table, and then it's all going to be gone. I mean, it'll be gone. It, the weekenders won't even get it. It'll be gone by. It'll be gone by 1 p.m. Oh no, I can already tell you that I'm going to eat. Yeah. So, uh, all right. What is pizza day? Uh, let's see. So, uh, I'm trying to figure out kind of what I want to do here before we talk to Dick Uliano, but I will say this. Coming up at noon, we will have more from Tim Riley. Uh, later on, we will talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. We'll do the top five with Scott Daly. Um, I wanted to give you a little bit of an update uh, on Jeff McGinley, only because... So Jeff McGinley is a former uh, engineer here. Uh, he called in a couple days ago. Listener of the show. He's going to quit smoking. And I won't, I won't say who, but there's somebody else here in the building that is trying to quit smoking right now. And we're not going to mention it because I want to put any more pressure on him. But so McGinley called in the other day, and he's getting that acupuncture thing. So we've got this. He says, Rick, uh, acupuncture. It was strange. I just had my first smoke of the day, and I didn't even really need it. I get five cigarettes for five days. Then I get three cigarettes for a week. Then I get one for a week. Then I'm done, apparently. He says, I also have little studs taped inside my ear that I'm supposed to massage when I get a craving, which means I pretty much walk around all day with a finger stuck in my ear. Uh, but other than that, it seems to be working. So there you go. So, it's working, huh? Acu- well, I have a friend who, who needs to quit who's trying to acupuncture kind of freaks me out i mean it's not that i disbelieve in it you know i mean i'm I'm sure that it works on some level but it weirds me out because it's one of those things where you're not quite sure why it does work i mean i suspect it probably does but it kind of you know but it doesn't seem like it should it's acupuncture seems like some sort of a level cheat code you know in super mario brothers like Mm -hmm. you're kind of using a little trick that you're not supposed to know about let's welcome now to the rick emerson show cnn radio correspondent dick uliano hello sir how are you today uh, no, uh, Rick, this is Bob Costantini. Hold on a second. Let's welcome out oh, to the Rick Emerson it. Show, CNN Radio Correspondent. Thank you, Sarah. There you go. Bob Costantini. Hello, sir. How are you? How are you? Are you? I didn't know. Good, good. Uh, Dick, uh, uh, no, it's not your fault. Uh, Dick uh, needed a break. I've, I had credentialing problems, so I couldn't get in here for a while, so Dick's been... Handling all the uh, the work. Don't so, they uh, know who you are? So we thought, yeah. <laughs> Am I going to have to go crack some skulls, Bob? I won't tolerate this. No, no. Right. Off in the distance, uh, 
is the Rock the Debate Party here uh, in Oxford on the University of Mississippi campus in the right. main uh, quadrant area there. Uh, but I'm uh, standing close to the debate hall, the Ford Center. Hey, you know, you're giving me an idea. Hold on a second. Debate. All right, I'm a little note for something for myself later on. All right, what would you describe? Well, first of all, here's a dumb question. Did anybody... I'm, I really thought there was an even odds uh, chance that McCain wouldn't show up only because there's that whole thing, especially on the Republican side of, you know, you pick a decision and you don't ever change. You stick with it even if it looks wrong. Well, I think he caught a lot of grief uh, from uh, Democrats, of course, uh, and perhaps some, some people within his own party. Uh, Governor Haley Barber uh, of Mississippi is a Republican, former Republican Party chairman, so he knows John McCain very well. Um, you know, I, I'm sure that he put some pressure on McCain to make sure that he showed up here. He, uh, Barber said yesterday that he was confident John McCain would be here for this debate. The state has put up millions of dollars uh, to host this here at the uh, University of Mississippi campus. And, uh, you know, the um, debate about the e economic situation, which is going on on Capitol Hill, is certainly going to be uh, topic one right here at this debate tonight. And they, they had some sort of backup plan, from what we understand, of a, like a town hall meeting with Barack Obama. Uh, I don't know how many people would have broadcast that. That could have caused uh, uh, fairness issues and, right. and that sort of thing. But uh, uh, relatively early on, there seemed to be, today at least, there seemed to be signals that John McCain would be here. Is the, um, uh, how do I put this, what, what are the expectations set at for each of the candidates? Because obviously... But John McCain is not a smooth speaker in the same way that Barack Obama is, just in terms of his in terms of his oration and his skills in that regard. You know, but obviously John McCain, the very smart guy, he's worked in Washington for a long time. He does he knows his stuff. Uh, yes. So what 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 are the expectations for? In other words, what does each candidate have to do to live up to their expectations? Well, interestingly enough, even before the um, uh, financial crisis, the rescue plan became such a big issue and a hot topic as to whether John McCain would show up. Right. Uh, the Obama camp was sort of downplaying expectations or upplaying the expectations for John McCain because uh, this was supposed to be a debate about foreign policy and national security issues, and that is where John McCain uh, supposedly shines. Well, tonight, uh, no doubt, the first question or two or three or whatever will be about the economic situation. The uh, PBS uh, host, Jim Lehrer, uh, is moderating this debate, and uh, no doubt he will ask about this situation because that's first and foremost on people's minds. All right. Uh, I guess as we, as we sort of get the, you know, what is the, if you can describe this, what is the general tone, uh, do you think, uh, there in, in the hall or, you know, as things are sort of ramping up at this debate? I mean, do people feel yeah. like there's going to be, fireworks or some sort of spark, some kind of meltdown because there's been so much going on this week, or do you, yeah. do you anticipate this being kind of by the numbers? Well, I, I suspect we'll hear them go right at each other over this idea of what was John McCain doing uh, by returning to Capitol Hill and insisting that he wouldn't come to this debate right. until a, uh, an economic uh, rescue plan was worked out. Well, he changed that tune a bit this morning. Uh, saying that enough progress has been made, so he decided to, that he would come. Uh, you know, look at them, look for them to go at each other over this. McCain will be accused of grandstanding, and Obama will be likely accused of uh, uh, maybe not caring as much. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouths. But, um, you know, look for 
them to go after each other on this economic rescue plan right away, even though they basically both agree that something has to be done. All right, my friend. Uh, are you on Monday? Uh, no, I will not be. All right. Well, then, uh, okay. Well, then, uh, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, batten down the hatches and buckle in for tonight, and uh, we will talk to you in the very near future then. It's going to be interesting. Uh, uh, you know, millions of people will be watching and listening, et cetera. Without a doubt. All right, Bob Costantini, thank you, sir. Take care, Rick. All right, there you go. CNN Radio correspondent to the stars, Bob. Wonderful, excellent. All right. Now, here's my idea. So I just had this uh, idea. What we really ought to do, I don't know if we can put this together by Monday. Maybe we may not have the, the time frame may not allow for this. What I was thinking is we're going to have, now I, I guess I get ready to say this. I realize that maybe this isn't a great idea. This might, in fact, be the worst idea ever. I was thinking that what we should do is we should actually get, like, two people from a high school debate team, and we should have them give their assessment of how the debate went. Mm. I realize now that's a stupid idea. A, because, you know, shiny. And also, because because obviously what's going to happen tonight is nothing approaching a real debate. And I sully the name of all good debaters and, in fact, diminish the whole word debate by comparing what's happening tonight to actual debating. There you go. Well, never mind. That was an idea that I pondered, ruminated upon, uh, considered. Now, throwing it out. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Let's take a break. We come back. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth begins the noon news hour. Um... Later on, we will have CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Scott Daly from Film Fever Radio, uh, today's birth of a salesman semi-finalist. Let's see what else. We'll talk to uh, Squiggy, uh, Leonard Squigmore himself, uh, on the phone later on at the 2 o'clock hour, and giving away a copy of Sports Night, the entire series on DVD, to one random on-air caller. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Now, like, half my news is already out there because things already changed. Let's see. Yep, sure is. It's like sacks and stacks here. Jesus. And we're kind of weeding through it as we go along. All right. Don't forget, uh, I will say this uh, one more time. We'll talk about it a little bit later on. Uh, coming up Sunday, October 5th, uh, Mythbusters. Mythbusters uh, behind the scenes. A hilarious evening with Jamie. Well, it's really more of an afternoon thing. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, but the Mythbusters guys are going to be there, Jamie and Adam, and then I will be moderating that. Tickets are on sale uh, now, so uh, do try to be there, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Oh, I missed that part. What are you moderating again? What? You're moderating? Uh, it's uh, behind the scenes with Mythbusters. Oh. It's going to be uh, a week from this coming Sunday. It's very exciting. It is. Yes. All right. Let's all take a breath. and. I have no idea what he's it's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Is that like a game of some sort? Yes. No. Yeah. No. You ever watch Mythbusters on the Discovery Channel? No. Ah, man, maybe it's not up your alley. It's a lot of blowing things up and burning things. Oh, I'm not showing up in some neighborhoods I've lived in in the past. I don't have to watch it on television. I don't have to see it, Dottie. I lived it. Right, here's Tim Riley. So anyway, let's have about Washington Mutual because many of you use Washington Mutual. And I just remembered I have a mortgage there. So. <laughs> you just remembered. Well, I never think about one of my houses. Well, as much as I should. 
All right. Is this, are you like the John McCain of the Rick Emerson show? I, know, I knew you were going to accuse me of doing that. How many houses do you own, Tim? I don't know. Two. Two. Uh-huh. And one I don't think about as much as I should. As a matter of fact, one is being remodeled right now, so I should be thinking about it. But that's where the mortgage for this one is. Uh, Washington Mutual. So, let's cheerfully tell you it is the biggest bank failure in U.S. history. Therefore, the Federal Deposit Insurance Agency sees Washington Mutual's assets, little that they had. What happened here? First of all, no one has anything to fear. If you have money in there, it's safe. Washington right. Mutual is open. It is still called Washington Mutual. You can go in. It's like any other business day. So that being said, simply put, Washington Mutual was victimized by a classic run on the bank. Customers withdrew $16.7 billion over a 10-day period. This followed the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers leaving WAMU with insufficient liquidity to meet its obligations. So, I've got two things. One is, so this is not to boil it down into oversimplification, but that's kind of what I do. This is like the It's a Wonderful Life thing, where everybody shows up in the same, at the same time, and they all want their money out of the bank. Right. And he's going, but the money isn't here. It's over at John's house because he's buying a sprinkler, and it's at Ted's house because he's got to buy a new ass for his wife or whatever, and that they all want the money, and the bank doesn't really have the money to give to them, so they got to get it from somewhere else to push them deeper in the hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what happens. So they sell this thing for pennies on the dollar to uh, J.P. Morgan. As a matter of fact, they paid $1.9 billion to purchase this. And according to the mayor of Seattle, by the way, Washington Mutual apparently began in Seattle at Washington State. Greg Nichols said he talked to J.P. Morgan CEO James Dixon last night and agreed to continue talking about the bank's future. Well, that would be nice. Uh, Nichols says he's saddened by the loss of Wambu, but is confident depositors are in good hands. Because of J.P. Morgan's reputation as a good corporate citizen. You know, it was funny last night, Larry, and although I did hear somebody else say that, you might have actually been reading this from, uh, today, that uh, when Larry King kept referring to it as Washington Mutual, the beleaguered thrift will file for, and I kept, the beleaguered thrift sounds like a very 1930s thing to say. It does. The Mercantile Institute will be seeking protection from, the five and dime will announce today that, anyway, so it is, uh, so if you, so if you're on the, the sort of, customer end of things. Doesn't look like anything's really going to change. No. If you had stock, that might have ended badly for you. Um, But it looks like, so J.P. Morgan was able to buy it, what do you say, like a cent and a half or something on a dollar? A cent on the dollar. Jesus, man. So that's not bad. No, I mean, really get a chance to go buy a bank. I don't care uh, what trouble the bank is having. If you get a chance to buy a bank, that seems like in the overall, that's a good business to be in. I mean, there have been bank problems. If you live in Southern California in the uh, 90s. Yep. All those uh, politicians in Orange County were using all those banks as their personal campaign piggy banks. Yes, they were. Including them all. So, And the funny thing was, I ended up Bank of Washington Mutual because they bought up one of those uh, savings and loans. So, well, here's a question, though. So people took out, what, $18 billion? Uh, let's see, $16.7 billion over a 10-day period. The classic run on the bank. So over 10 days, Amer- American people who had uh, money in WAMU... Which I always hate saying because it sounds silly, but it sounds stupid. they went there and they took $17 billion out. So the question is, where do they put that $17 billion? In their mattresses. I don't know. I mean, I wonder if that went to other banks. That seems unlikely. Possibly. Because, I mean, who would... Maybe they took out the cash. Like, if you don't... And, and again, I'm just... These are just... We're just reading these as news stories. They're just facts. If people go because they don't believe that the banking system that they're in is safe, why would they then automatically assume they could put it in, like, some bank down the street and it would be safe? It seems like it's either safe nowhere or it's safe everywhere because mm-hmm. the banks are all sort of intertwined. So I wonder if they did just go and, like, stick it in, like, a cookie jar somewhere, which would be a little freaky. The idea that there's 18 – that's the thing that is sort of unnerving. The idea that there is then somehow $18 billion that has just been withdrawn mm-hmm. from the closed system that is the American, you know, the, the American economy. Uh, I read an article somewhere – this is really fascinating. They estimated that – I don't even remember the figure now, but they were talking about basically people who keep piggy banks and jars full of pennies. 
And it was some staggering figure. What it was, I don't think it was in the billions, but it was like millions and millions of dollars that they think is like sitting around in like mason jars in people's basements full of pennies. That they forget are there. They're never really going to do anything with it. I guess maybe this is before like the coin star system and whatever. You know, there's just millions of dollars that people take out in, 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 of the economy and don't ever put back in the sense that it's just sitting in a shoebox somewhere. Mm. So I wonder if this $18 billion is being stuffed underneath somebody's pillow. Old people do that. Yes, they do. My grandfather kept a tea kettle. Really? Money hidden in the garage. Just like, was he a Depression era guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah my grandfather's the same way. So anyway, um, so your money is safe at Washington Mutual. Not that this is an advertisement. They're probably not in any shape to buy advertising right now. Let's talk to uh, University of Washington finance professor Robert Higgins, who says Washington Mutual's failure is a sad day for Seattle. This is the the last uh, financial institution that was a player on the national level uh, that was headquartered here. So we've we've lost that. Seattle's having a bad year, man. I mean, first Boeing went away, you know, to some degree. <laughs> now the uh, now the Sonics are leaving. Now, then Starbucks has started uh, losing money and having to close stuff. Now, Washington Mutual has gone to some degree belly up. Mm -hmm. Seattle is not having a, uh, they're not having a good time of it recently. Good time to buy real estate up there, though. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Spoken like a true realtor, Tim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Higgins says, WAMU won't be the last bank to be taken over during this financial crisis. We still have a period of difficult times to go through here. That's reassuring, Uh, thanks. So there will be additional bank acquisitions, uh, takeovers, but I think they'll be mainly smaller banks. Always look on the bright side of life. I think it's a uh, reflection of the continuing problems in the housing market. Uh, I don't think it uh, uh, has a lot of uh, downside uh, risk for depositors or, or borrowers from WAMU. Mm-hmm. Well, he's someone who deals with money. As, as boring as he sounds, those are the kind of people who deal with it. But, I mean, here's a question, though. I mean, do you... You almost want to think, like, you think to yourself, well, okay, those guys who are sitting around a table at the Federal Reserve, they know what they're doing. Uh, to some degree, they understand math and dollars and whatever. But I, I think that even if that, like, you just have to believe that. I mean, it's probably true, but you almost have to believe it because because the, the alternative is just to confront the horrifying fact that maybe they don't know their way out of this any better. Like, understanding a scenario doesn't necessarily give you a way out of it. No. I mean, knowing how something works doesn't necessarily mean you can solve it. And the idea that a bunch of eggheads sitting around the Fed at a table going, I don't know, what are we going to do? I, I have nothing. That's just like so terrifying, I can't even ponder it. But the other point, you know, there have been a lot of businesses that have been trouble, in trouble for quite some time. Yep. I mean, we won't name them. We know what they are. And they do have people behind the scenes, you know, all the bean counters, trying to figure out how to get them out of trouble. Now, it takes more than a couple of days, even for a small business, to figure out what they're going to do. How can they expect, how can anybody possibly expect a couple days of meetings to figure out what to do about something that nobody really has a clue about in the first place? Well, that's the thing. And so this situation really is the confluence of trying to do something to placate the American public but then at the same time, you want to do something that actually is going to work and isn't going to be a band-aid. Because i got to tell you, because if, if because if they rush something through for the sake of political expediency and it's just a cosmetic fix, mm-hmm. and if, if can you imagine if we somehow find ourselves six months from now in a worse version of this? I mean, seriously, th- this country will implode. I mean, we will, we, we will be implode. We will be taken over by the Russians. I'm telling you right now. And can you believe that a month ago... Two months ago, our biggest... Remember remember the glory days of two months ago when the biggest problem was that gas was a little pricey? I don't know. Things are coming apart. Gas is 385. Like it was the end of the freaking world or something. 
And so, you know, this is, you know, I... Thank God for cable. I'm just, that's what I'm saying, Tim. You know what I do? I just, flick, I just flick, flick. go home and I turn on the television and I uh, heat myself up some pizza and I sit there and I just uh, let it wash my troubles away. Now we're going to paint the dining room blue and rearrange the furniture Lit- on HGTV. Can I tell you, right now, my wife is actually literally painting the dining room blue and is rearranging our bedroom furniture. Why? It's all no you can do. Cold. No, because what else can you do? You know, that's a, a thank you. No, well, I have to tell you this. I don't mean to sound like Johnny overreaction. But, you know, we were going to go to uh, we were going to travel to Russia next year for a couple weeks. They're probably better off. We, we have, uh, but we have we have decided to cancel or postpone that, not because like the world's going to go up in flames, but just because, like, however, and it was already going to be expensive. But I mean, just you can already see that whatever it was going to cost us to go on vacation next year, and not because of stupid gas prices, but just because of the whole economy, it probably is going to be probably two-thirds more, mm-hmm. whatever our vacation was. So I can already see that we probably don't want to pay whatever it would cost to go on vacation abroad next year. And the Russians are doing pretty good again. They're making money yeah. uh, on uh, fuel, and they're butchering their neighbors. So it's business as usual. For well, they're, ba- they're back in their wheelhouse, Tim. I mean, they're back to playing to their strengths. Laura did have this question, though, and I asked Lisa, and she was sort of, she said that it wasn't the case, but Laura wanted to know, she, 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 the great thing about Laura is, you know, she is very upfront about saying what she doesn't know. And she said, well, okay, where is this money going? Like, is it, you know, it's going to this sort of amorphous group of lenders, but is money also then theoretically going to go to specific companies? And she said, where can I see a list? She's like, I want a list somewhere of what companies are going to be getting money out of this trillion dollars. That is the problem. I mean, nobody seems to know. Do they not know or will they not tell us? And I don't mean to sound like a conspiracy guy. I'm just saying they don't know. So they don't, know they don't know what companies will be getting paid out of this. Then how do they even there, know it's a trillion no dollars? Then how do they even know it's a trillion dollars? Exactly. And why can't they get by with $150 billion until they find out if it works? Yeah, it's just it's so it's so puzzling because you get the feeling that they've just kind of pulled this trillion-dollar figure like out of their collective ass. Because it's the government and they can use big figures. Yeah, and they just, uh, you know, and they kind of said, look, what we're going to need is a... Uh, Trillion dollars, and then meanwhile, there's 280 million of us going. Wait, I don't. We don't want to give you a trillion. Hello, is this? Is this? Can you hear me? And the government's like, okay, trillion dollars, good, go. And meanwhile, like somebody told me, there was going to be uh, several, 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 several million of that, if not billion of that, going to the John Deere tractor company. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. We don't know. We heard that uh, General Motors asking for money yesterday. Uh, Twenty-five billion. Otherwise, they might have to lay some people off, and it may put an end to their uh, their electric car thing. Uh-huh. I'm just going to make this one observation about that before we move on, only because this is, and as Sarah pointed out, everywhere you go, Sarah, people are talking about the election and the debate, and everywhere I go, it's the election, the debate, and the economy. It's like it is all, any, and occasionally Christina Hendricks breasts, it's all anybody wants to talk about. Um but we had that story uh, yesterday or two days ago that General Motors needs money because, quote, they've maxed out their credit. Yeah. Like General Motors has no credit. No one will give them credit. And I guess my thing is, A, as I pointed out yesterday, they, they, they all went through this same problem 35 years ago. Uh, and B, like, you know, General Motors at one time was the most highly valued company in America, both figuratively and in terms of actual dollars. They were the most, uh, whatever you want to go, whatever the term of that is, but the most valuable company single corporation in America, then I think overtaken by IBM, then Microsoft, but still, you know, the General Motors, one of the biggest companies ever. If you are General Motors, and you're one of the biggest companies in the history of manufacturing, and I mean, you have billions of dollars in revenue, you know, over the course of however many decades, 
Why would you ever get to a point where you just have to put things on credit? Seems like that's just bad business. You know what I mean? I mean, that really does seem like somebody who has an income of 300 grand but still has $100,000 in credit card debt at their house. If you're General Motors, why can't you, you know, if the amount of money you're making isn't enough to pay your bills, maybe you ought to turn that business over to somebody that doesn't have to put everything on the card. It just, uh, it seems like rewarding irresponsibility to me. Exactly. All right, here's Tim Riley. So let's talk about, uh, talk to some of Washington Mutual customers on the street. Sam said he took out some of his money. Because when Walmart was looking for someone to buy it, and I thought, well, I should at least get, take some of my money out just in case. Sophie is worried. Yeah, I'm very concerned. Very concerned right now. Uh, we've got this email. Rick, as a contributor to the collapse, yes, we pulled our money out and put it in our safe. Best show ever, Cheryl. Okay. Oh, there you go. Granted. House Republicans have split with President Bush on the financial bailout plan. Barney Frank said Republicans walked out on a meeting last night during which it was hoped an agreement on the $700 billion legislation could be struck. We are in serious conversations about how to improve the president's bill, but we are staying within the, the basic approach of the president's bill. All of us but the House Republicans. Is his voice getting worse? Yes. And I saw him last night. He has that. He gets that. Uh, Barney Frank gets that thing that some guys get. It's. That weird Richard Nixon five o'clock shadow where it's not just the stubble, it's like greasy. You know what I mean? Like some guys get the kind of rugged George Clooney stubble or the, you know, whatever, the Brad Pitt stubble. Barney Frank gets the stubble that looks like it was, um, it looks like it's been sprayed on with some kind of oil applique. Uh, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. I'm here. Wow. Yes. Hi. Hello. I have a bacon question. Okay, sir. I might have your bacon answer, but I might not. What do you got? Well, I know that you are a lover of bacon. Yes. I am... Looking at the crossword today. Is this cross- in the Oregonian? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it says bacon amount and it is R- Rasher. Huh? Rasher. Really? R A S H E R. Rasher. Thank you so much. Does it work? Does it fit? Yes. That's right, it does. Thank you so much. All right, let's hear it for me. You you are a god. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. You notice how he didn't even have to give me the whole full definition there? He didn't have to even tell me anything about how many letters? You shouldn't be so proud about that one. I'm absolutely proud. I just solved a crossword puzzle uh, question about bacon. If I'm not going to be proud of that, Sarah, then of what shall I have pride? I mean, come on. All right, it's Tim Riley. <laughs> so let's take a little break from this for just a moment, but we'll be back to it. First, there was Matt Damon and Pamela Anderson. Then there was Lindsay Lohan and Sandra Bernhardt. A list of Hollywood celebrities criticizing Sarah Palin continues to grow. Last night on Larry King Live which apparently I must have missed this segment. Comedian Chris Rock said he's skeptical about the uh, the governor of Alaska. She's done three interviews, and she's running for vice president of the United States. Uh, Jason Lee's done more interviews promoting, you know, I, my name is Earl. <laughs> <laughs> then she has to run for vice I did more interviews today. I, uh, I, I tuned out right before Chris Rock came on because uh, I forget exactly why. I was doing a thing. Um... But I watched uh, the first half of that, Paul Begala and all those guys, and then I wish I'd brought this audio in now because Larry King, they were going to break it. Coming up next, and then he says this, he goes, coming up next, Chris Rock, no one is safe. He screamed into the microphone. It was the weirdest thing. It was it was just kind of a funny image. It was like, because they cut back and they showed the full set, and they showed Chris Rock walking onto the stage toward Larry King, and Larry King, I swear to God, said, Chris Rock, no one is safe. And like then they went right to the break. It was just the weirdest sounding thing. So, uh, all right, here's Tim Riley. So uh, we haven't heard much from Joe Biden because, well, nobody really pays much attention to him, and he 
kind of blows it every time he speaks. And he's kind of boring, and he said that thing about, what is it, FDR being on television? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So apparently, let's see, he spoke to a crowd at Greensburg Salem High School of Pennsylvania. Said that the only way him Barack Obama would agree to a financial deal is if there was help for all involved. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot and we will not simply bail out Wall Street without helping the millions of innocent homeowners who are struggling just to stay in their home. Let's help everyone, says Joe Biden. If Wall Street is going to get this help, Main Street, Main Street has to get the help as well. Mm. Uh, somebody asked me yesterday why we don't, <clears throat> why we, uh, it was one of the, uh, did you go to my uh, webpage today, by the way? No, not today. I got another one of those, uh, I put up a, a blog post at rickemerson.com, of which I'm very proud. Mm-hmm. It was two almost back-to-back emails, one of which we read yesterday, one of which we didn't. Uh, first one is, uh, this came yesterday during the show. Rick, ease up on the GOP bashing. You're starting to sound like Air America. And then literally like half an hour later, I got... Uh, you sound so conservative lately. I don't know what's going on. Quit attacking Obama. And I just put the phrase, like, in a nutshell, our show. Listen. Uh, so, uh, you know, so that's, uh, as I said yesterday, that is, uh, that is what they used to call hard cheese. Everybody just has to uh, be okay with that. But, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, so somebody said, why are you, this guy was like, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're always attacking Sarah Palin. Quit. You're such a liberal, you know, such a tool of the liberal media. Lay off Sarah Palin. Why aren't you making fun of Joe Biden? And I emailed back, and I, uh, I, you know, because I tried, I used to be really bad about answering your email. I, I just, because, and I felt guilty about it. Because, I mean, not to be all about, like, how cool we are, but we get a lot of email. Yeah. I mean, I get, like, I mean, I'm not trying to be that guy, but I get hundreds of emails a day. And I try to, uh, you know, respond, and, you know, if they, but I've, I've turned over a new leaf last few months, where in the morning, I come in and I devote, like, a solid hour to just trying to get my email answered. So this guy sent me emails, like, I can't believe you're always making fun of Sarah Palin and never Joe Biden. You are a tool of the liberal, you know, you, you are a mouthpiece for the left or whatever. And I emailed him back, and I said, let's see, where is, let's see if I actually have my response. Because I've gotten a lot of people who've, who've said that lately about how, they would, how we're, you know, we're, too, you know, we're too mean to Sarah Palin, we're too biased or too whatever. Let's see if I have this. Uh, let's see. Here we go. So this is what I emailed back to the guy. I said, uh, I said, as for Sarah Palin, she takes the bulk of the shots, but that's because she's funnier. Mistakes from a squawky moose hunting mill for funnier than mistakes from some nondescript guy named Joe. Just one of the uh, rules of comedy, in my opinion. Uh, which is true. I mean, this is, Joe Biden's just kind of dull. I mean, I know he kind of like, what, he plagiarized a speech at one point, and he said the thing about FB, FDR being on television, which is kind of dumb. But he's just not, just, Sarah Palin's just funnier. And everybody just has to be, you just have to understand the rules of the road. Uh, there's just nothing that funny about Joe Biden. And I guess this, you know, like Barack Obama is kind of funny just because you get the feeling that, I mean, you do have that thing that when he comes into a room, he probably just floats in on a cloud and there's sort of a, you know, but that's, you know, and, you know, McCain's kind of funny because he looks like a zombie to me, sort of. He kind of looks like that guy in the cover of Dawn of the Dead. But Palin, of the four of them, Palin's far and away where all your comedic grist is. I mean, you can't you can't lead into her speech at the convention by talking about how she likes moose burgers, and how she and you can't run a photograph of her wearing a shirt, by the way, the big frizzy perm hairdo, wearing a shirt that says "I may be broke, but I'm not flat busted." You can't have that as your nominee and not expect her to get made fun of. So everybody just needs to toughen up. Quit being such a bunch of goddamned crybabies. Here's Tim Riley. Comedy hurts. Get used to it. Here's Tim Riley. The global banking scramble is going to be met. Head on with demands for cash. Commercial banks are stashing away cash while central banks are about the only borrowing source available right now. The European Central Bank, the Bank of England, Swiss National Bank together 
have put $74 billion of one-week funds into the markets. Increased flows of money from central banks have become necessary with global money markets drying up. Borrowing rates are high, particularly for three-month money. In the U.S., the Federal Reserve has been forced to release some of its reserve funds to keep the overnight borrowing rate at 2%. Anybody understand so far? Not at all. Okay. Well, nothing bad is happening. That is a good thing. I'll take your word for it. Mm-hmm. Excuse me just a moment, please. You're sort of like an interpreter. Uh, you know what I mean? We're like, you know, you see those guys who are at the U.N., and, you know, Khrushchev is screaming something and hitting a shoe, and the, the interpreter's going, uh, your grandchildren will live under communism, we will bury you. And, but it's like you have only the interpreter's word that that's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Seems like an interpreter could really screw things up if he just decided to go in there and mess with the program a little bit. So when you talk about finances, I have no choice but to believe you. Which I do, by the way. I'm just okay. saying, I, 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 even, if, even if I didn't, I would have no other source of information, because I don't understand what the hell's going on. Here's Tim Riley. So Nebraska's safe haven law is having some unexpected side effects. The Omaha World Herald, that sounds like a big newspaper. <laughs> really? Is it a World Herald? <laughs> the Omaha World Herald. The Omaha Global Picayune. Reports a father dropped off his nine children at an Omaha hospital. This spring, Nebraska became the last state to adopt a safe haven law. Governor Dave Hyman says the law is an attempt to protect uh, unwanted newborns by making, le- by making it legal for a parent to leave a child at a designated location, which we have here. Leave all children behind. Right. So, But it's only supposed to be for babies? Mm-hmm. But this guy dropped off nine children. Well, now, to be fair, I was reading an article about this the other day, and in Nebraska, the law is actually written so uh, that you can drop 17 off... 17 years old. Yeah, you can drop off a kid literally... <laughs> Telling Susan Reynolds this, she's like, really? If only I lived in Nebraska. Uh, but you can drop off a kid up to the age of 17. Yes, that's what it says. You here. can stop by a hospital in Nebraska, kick your kid out and say, that's it, you're not my problem anymore, and the state takes care of him. And somebody took advantage of it. The law was intended for infants, particularly, who, who might be at risk of danger, immediate danger, and those were the ones who were to be dropped off. Well, really, the law says to 17 years old. But, you know, I'm really okay with that, because if you get to the point as a parent where you're like, I don't want to raise you anymore, I'm going to give you to the government, mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't have had the kid in the first place. The kid might be better off somewhere else. And if point. the recycling thing is big enough, why not throw him in? That's what I'm saying. The intent was to provide a way for newborns to be safely dropped off. It was not intended... To be used by people who are tired of parenting older youth who may be unruly or have behavior problems. Maybe there should be a separate bin for teenagers. Sort of like a, the luggage thing at the airport, like that your bag must fit in the slot. And the other one is gray. Green You're, for babies, green for teenagers. You must be taller than this than this line to be dumped off in this slot. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Hey, uh, I was going to tell you the YGM needs the capital. All right. Uh, there's two reasons why. One... Uh, all the money they have to pay out for full benefits for retirees. Right. Uh, they spend like $2.5 million a year on that. Okay. And the second is, is with all the EPA regulations that we have in this country, it's harder for them to sell cars that they can make a profit on. Wait, let me just say this. So this is, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be confrontational here, but whenever I hear that, Whenever I hear that anything going wrong in business is the fault of any environmentalists, I immediately just disbelieve that. Well, put it this way. The number one selling car in China is a Buick. Meaning? Buick. I know, but meaning, what, what does that GM, show exactly? GM makes Buick. Yes, I under, Okay. But, okay, so the only country that GM has a problem in is the United States. Well, you know, the, you know what? The year, the year in China... But the Olympians went there. They had to wear those face masks right. because they couldn't, they couldn't breathe. I was just going to say, that's also a country where nobody could breathe. So, A, I don't really know that I'm opposed to clean air. And, B, 
But here's the, here's the thing, man. And and again, I I'm only saying this. I'm I'm not trying to be that guy. We can all discuss as gentlemen. But you know what? That that's just the way business works. The times change. The economy changes. Your market changes. The rules change. It's called capitalism. And nobody, you know what? And they've had they've dealt with all of these laws forever. They knew these laws were coming. If you are a business that cannot adapt, guess what? You get evolved right out of business. Well, true, but the thing of it is, GM won't go out of business. GM well, GM won't go out of business because we keep giving them money. Well, GM, well, they haven't got it yet, and I don't think they should get it either, but GM won't close. They'll just close their North American division. You know what? And maybe that'll suck for the economy, but that's the way capitalism is supposed to work. If you well, can't, If you can't make money... You go away, and don't get me wrong. I understand that's not good for workers. I understand it's not good oh, for I... whatever. But, but you know, what's also not good is just continuing to prop up a company, which or, you know, or any company, let's say, prop up you know companies who have like shown this complete inability uh, in the past to manage their money correctly. That's and socialism. Well, yeah, we are continuing to give them money based on like an absolutely terrible track record, knowing that they'll probably blow it again this time. Oh, probably. Before so. They're horrible when it comes to negotiating their union contracts. Well, Just I guess, horrible. But I, you know, so I guess, I guess my thing is, you know, you know, I hate to sound like I don't care if, if things go bad for Americans. I mean, obviously, I, I got to live here like everybody else. But at a certain point, you don't keep lending your deadbeat brother-in-law money because he keeps blowing it at the track. So, well, you know what? And, and I, you know, I, maybe he gets kicked out on the street, but that's just the brakes. Well, true, and I agree with you on that, too. I do not think GM should be bailed right. out, and I don't think all these other people should be bailed out either. Because there isn't anybody in America who bought a house who did not know that the interest rate might go up and you might not be able to afford it. Well, and, as, and you know, when I told my wife last night, uh, you know, it only took us, uh, what, seven years uh, to get to the moon and back once Kennedy told us we had to do it. He's like, you know what, end of the decade, we're going to the moon and back, get it done. They've had 35 years, the industry, to create cars that weren't going to put them at the mercy of oil markets. They chose not to do so, so F them. Yeah. And as, far as the, and as far as the retirement goes, and I do understand your point about, lest anybody think that we're being callous and whole, you know, cold-hearted here, I do understand that there's a lot of people, retirees, who need money, got to be taken care of. And so I think my answer to that, because Lara asked me, she's like, well, what about people who, who need pensions, people who are, you know, they have their retirement that's not going to be covered? My thing is, look, if we're going to hand companies, whoever, or in this case, like this company, billions or trillions of dollars so they can handle, let's say, their retirees, why don't we just skip to the bottom of the page and have the government pay that retirement? Because you know what? That's what we're doing right now anyway. We're just doing it through a middleman. Well, true. That's and, all uh, we're doing now. You know, the, the, some of these people, it's kind of like the system for Oregon uh, state employees. Some of those retirees are making more than they did when they were working. Mm. I mean... You know, if the government's going to end up paying that retirement through a middleman, why don't they just go ahead and pay it directly? Uh, you know, I, I'm not. It's not like the government does everything right, but clearly these companies have done almost nothing right. True. And so, and, you, know, you know, the one one other thing, like your wife said, what about all those retirees? Well, look at CF Consolidated Freightways. When they went out of business, they went back and went down. Everybody who had a pension, which comes through the union, still had the pension. Right. But everybody else who had a company pension, it's gone. Yeah. So it was all their benefits. All right. Thank you, sir. So, okay. All right. There Have you me. go. It's not like, thank you. Uh, it is not like I want the government running everything, but I mean, the, the, the companies just have mismanaged things over and over and over and over, and they keep coming back like, uh, we just need one more chance. Could you give us, oh, I don't know, $25 billion? I think, and I think I think speak for a lot of people here, I think that I would be okay with giving billions of dollars to American companies if we just said, okay, look, we're going to give you billions of dollars, but you know what? Everybody above, oh, I don't know, middle management is going to be fired tomorrow, and they can't be rehired, 
at any other company like this. You got to get a hold of you. Tell us tomorrow who's going to run the company, and it can't be anybody who already ran the company. I mean, that's just, you know, because otherwise you're just giving money to deadbeats. You know, you lend your you lend somebody money once and they screw you. You don't lend them money a second time. And I don't necessarily want the government running everything, but you know, let, it is also a lie to say that the government can't handle things like this. Uh, I don't know anybody on Social Security who doesn't get their check on time. You know, your Social Security check comes every month when it's supposed to come without fail. So, uh, just, uh, you know, Jesus, this whole place is just one big uh, one big thing, Tim. One That's big... why I love coming to work every day. <laughs> because we are never short on material. God, And it man. doesn't make any sense to prep anything because it ends up in a big heap anyway. No, no. Did you watch, I know the answer to this already, did you watch Oprah yesterday? No. Me either. I'm out walking the dog at that point. I like boobs and bacon. I answered that bacon question earlier. That should get me Oprah? out of the doghouse on Oprah. To be fair, the only reason I watched Oprah is because, it's long story short, but we were watching the TiVo, and, you know, you get the buffer uh, where you have, like, a half an hour lead time on your TiVo. Um, and our change channels by mistakes, we lost the buffer. And we're like, oh, okay, well, we got to wait before we can go back and watch TV. So she's like, let me show you this thing on Oprah. So she brings up uh, uh, yesterday's Oprah, and, of course, who's on there but Susie Orman. And it was, so you got to go back and find this. I'm sure it's on uh, YouTube. So Oprah's there with Susie Orman, who's a, you know, financial advisor and so forth. And they have via satellite. This hick couple from, uh, I don't know, Buttville. And, uh, you know, and it's like, I won't mention any names, but it's like, uh, it's a it's a, a very suburban-looking husband and wife who remind me a lot of a suburban couple we used to know. And they're sitting there in their living room, and they're not one of these couples. I mean, how, how, how at the end of your rope must you be when you're sitting and you're writing a letter to Oprah, dear Oprah, please give me... A million. I mean, Oprah is like the bailout for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Please give. It's like those people who write into extreme makeover. You know, I am living in a clapboard shack. Please help. But these, but these, this idiot suburban couple had had emailed into Oprah. They're like, "Hey, we're really in a bad way, and my husband lost his job." And you know, hey, what what do you say, Oprah? Help help us out. And so Oprah brings these people on live. Via, and it's good to see, by the way. Here's why I love Oprah, and I really do. I admire her because you know she's a successful businesswoman, maybe the most successful businesswoman in the history of of the world. I mean, offhand, can you think of a businesswoman who is more successful than Oprah ever, who didn't inherit everything? Madonna. Mm. Maybe. Yep. Give you that. Give you that, Madonna. Uh, you know. I think it's just the two of them, though. And Oprah built it from the ground up, man. She didn't inherit anything. She made that. She made that empire. I mean, that's why I will always respect Oprah. I mean, she is, you know, she is a self-made billionaire. But, um, and it's so she, even, even Oprah's making money on this because she's like, all right, and so live um, from their home in Buttville, we're going to talk to Jim and Tammy. Uh, via Skype, and so there's the Skype logo in the lower hand, you know, right hand corner. You're like, way to go, Oprah. Because even Oprah's get a little kaching on this. So they bring on Jim and Tammy, who are there via Skype from their home, and so, and the deal is like, she was Oprah and Susie Orman were going to look at Jim and Tammy's finances and see what could be done to help them. And they give, you know, they of course the couple gives their side because well, my husband lost his job, and um, you know, right now our mortgage is really tough to meet, and um. So we've been um, trying to take care of our credit card debt, and sometimes, you know, one credit card is helping us to pay off another credit card, and and so we're trying to keep things balanced there. But with the kids, it's really difficult, and they're given, like, you know, a very sympathetic portrait. And what the, what they don't know is that Susie Orman was allowed to look at all their finances. Like, Susie Orman got to look at their books, Excellent. and she lit them up like uh, – uh, she went after them like, as Fred Willard would say, like they were made out of ham – I mean, it, Oprah had to pull her off of them like a pit bull off a baby. 
I, I, at one point, I expected just, like, fire to shoot out of her eyes and to just go through them like the Ark of the Covenant through the Nazis. I have never seen Susie Orman come so unglued because what she pointed out is that they have 29 credit cards. They are $98,000 in debt on their credit card, on their consumer debt, which they have had, like, for the longest time. And she said, so you're in this house. How much is your mortgage? Uh, well, our, our mortgage is like $3,000. Well, how much are you bringing in right now? Well, we're bringing in $1,000. And Susie Orman says, could you afford this house when you bought it? And the woman says, well, we could have. And she just cuts her off. She's like, you could not afford this house three years ago. You can't afford it now. Sell your goddamned house and move into an apartment. You know, you idiots. And the wife, and then we got a break after this, the wife tries to do this little defense where she goes, well, I don't know, Susie, I... I think it would probably cost us just as much to be in an apartment right now. And Susie says, you're paying $3,000 a month for a house. Sell it and move into an apartment and cut up all of your damn credit cards. I mean, I, if, she had, if she'd been able to, she would have gone through the screen and punched them in the face. I mean, just you would have knocked out their teeth. 29 credit cards. 29 credit cards. $90,000 in consumer debt. And you know, so what my, my wife did? My wife just, my wife paused it and my wife looked at the screen and my wife said... F you all. And she just turned off the television and threw it down. You know? So there you go. $3,000 a month mortgage. Really? All right. Let's uh, take a, put them in line behind General Motors. Take a break. We'll come back after this. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. If you're on hold about, let's say, Subaru or... I swear to God, it says Subaru or Indians. All right. Or, or that. Joe about cars. Scott about something else. Your phone call. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. in the room. I'm all alone. It's so loud. Where did everyone go? Oh my god, you really, you look like a little kid who didn't know what to do. I am. You're standing there yelling. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Uh, well, I haven't, I haven't run a board in like 20 years. What am I going to do? Go over there and start running everything? I haven't, uh, this is 2008. The last time I had to run a board was, Jesus. 1994. I haven't run wow. a I haven't run a board for 14 years. I probably couldn't. I mean, I could kind of muddle my way through if I had. Scott Nelly said in the roast it was yeah. pretty tough over here. What's that? Remember on the roast and he's just like, "Sorry, your job's hard." And then he... <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, hilarious. Let's see. Blah blah. Rick. Uh, this email says. I will try to explain this as best I can, though, as someone who works in the financial industry, I am very worried. The $700 billion is an estimate using the historical percentage of the outstanding mortgages that have defaulted compared to the total amount of subprime mortgages. Mm -hmm. I don't know. He says, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if the number changes drastically. He says, I am also a talk radio junkie. You definitely have the best program I have ever heard. Thank you for making bleak times more tolerable. Well, thank you, sir. That's what we do, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you very much. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. You're listening to KCMD Portland. Coming up later on, uh, we will talk to um, uh, David Landers, Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. Uh, Scott Daly is going to be here to review Choke, uh, the new Politic movie. Uh, what else? Top five Scott Daly teenage mope songs. Uh, Steve Kastenbaum, Birth of a Salesman. Hey, hey. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey. Hey. Uh, hey, uh, I, during Susan Reynolds' top five yesterday, she mentioned she used to work at WLS in Chicago. Yes, sir. 
And I don't remember if I if you said this or not once. I had a manufacturing in my head. But didn't you say you worked there once? No, I uh, no, I did not work at WLS. But Tim, you worked at a three letter station back east, didn't you? No. Oh no, I'm thinking of RKO, which is actually not RKO a, General. Uh, yeah, it was WRKO. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's, oh, go ahead. No, I, it's a legendary station. She worked there. I have not worked there. No. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a huge station. I, I mean, I, I used to live hundreds of miles south, and I could hear it crystal clear. Yeah, big yeah. fifty thousand watts. Yeah, no, it's an iconic station. Uh, I think that's where she worked. That uh, Paul Harvey was working. I think that's where he was. So, was yeah. that eight ninety? I think. I believe so. Yeah, you look at the, you know, go to Susan's office, and behind her desk is usually, you know, at the wall of photos and press passes and backstage laminates that she's collected over the years, and I mean, it's just posing with everybody on earth. Uh, you know, because she's worked at some really legendary stations, so, yeah. Well, well, thanks for clearing that up. Thank you. All right. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hello. Uh, talking about uh, people taking all the money out of the, the bank there. Yes, sir. It's uh, kind of that conversation between, um, what's his name, Robert Redford and, I'm sorry, Martin Brace and uh, Cosmo there on speakers <sighs> about how you can make banks oh, fail. I should totally have gotten that for, oh, I'm so pwned. I totally should have gotten that for today. Oh, I suck. Oh. Then talking about um, the trillion dollars, yeah, it's the conversation between Cartman and Tenement when uh, Cartman's on the porch <laughs> trying to get his money back. It's like, okay, and you take the money, and I'll give you back the. Yes, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. And then does that mean at the end somebody has to eat somebody else's parents? I well, I don't know. <laughs> I I make don't you eat know. your parents. So it's just a bad deal all the way around, but yeah. I'm just a saying. All right. I, I got to go find that sneaker scene. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank all you. All right. Uh, that's, that's right. Cry, Scott Tenement. All your tears, they taste like sweet wine. Here's Tim Riley. Okay, so more in uh, Washington Mutual. So if you, none of your accounts are affected, of course, because you're guaranteed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation of up to $100,000. Uh, many Wamu employees came to work today wondering about their jobs. J.P. Morgan executive says it's too early to know how many employees might be laid off, but the number could be as high as 5,000. They expect the uh, bank to close about 540 branches. And let's see here. Also, we got this in. The seizure and deal with J.P. Morgan came as a shock to Washington Mutual's board, which was kept completely in the dark. Oh, <laughs> really? The company's new chief executive, Alan H. Fishman, was in midair... Flying from New York to Seattle at the time the deal was finally brokered, according to people briefed on the situation. Mr. Fishman, who has been on the job for less than three weeks, is eligible for $11.6 million cash severance and will get to keep his $7.5 million signing bonus. Okay. Well, that's great, Tim. As long as he's taken care of. That's what's important here. People at the top need to be taken care of. Yes, they do, Tim. They are better than you and I. Uh, what else do we have here? Let's see, I have some. You know, here's the thing. I'm just saying, uh, here's another thing. We we make these observations sometimes, and uh, I'm simply making this, at least saying this. This is just a, just a little, little observation I'm going to make, just a, a musing of mine. I'm, uh, I'm not suggesting anything, for the record. I am not suggesting anything. It does surprise me that what with all the information that can be found on the Internet now, uh, and, uh, you know, with the social engineering that can take place fairly easily. It does surprise me that no one has found, discovered, and then posted or disseminated, let's say, the personal information or home address for some of these guys who were running these companies into the ground while getting paid, like, $20 million bonuses. I'm not saying that should happen. But I'm I, saying I, I've thought about that on numerous occasions. It does really surprise me that nobody on the Internet... <clears throat> 
has just gone out and put together a list of like, hey, do you want to know who screwed this company into the ground, uh, you know, while taking home a bonus of like 85%? Hey, do you want to know who is getting paid $40,000 a week while giving out loans that they knew were going to lead to the implosion of the American economy? Here's his name. Here's his address. I'm, I'm not saying that should happen. That would be wrong. Maybe. I don't even know if it would be wrong. I'm not even sure if it would be illegal, actually. I'm saying that as a journalist and an objective observer of the American social scene, I am surprised that nobody has done that. Here's Tim Riley. Well, I'll tell you about foolishness from politicians. So you remember a few days ago they had a terrible uh, train crash in uh, Los Angeles. So now one of the uh, county supervisors is surprised to find out there are not seat belts or safety straps on trains. Shocked. I'm serious. He is He is shocked. He said... Uh, you mean he's never ridden one? No, apparently not. That's great. The two people that I'm aware of who died in the last car, who shouldn't have died, if they were seated and had been strapped in, they, they would not have died. The people who have been critically injured, some who have died in the hospital, some who are still in the hospital and will be for a, a while, might not have been as critically injured if they had been strapped in. Well, you know, they don't this have... This is a no-brainer. They don't no, have... There were no seatbelts. They don't have seatbelts in school buses either, by the way. So, uh, you know why? Because, and this is a true story, it's kind of like that thing in Fight Club where he talks about whether to recall a car based on how much it's going to cost in terms of lawsuits if the car explodes. This is true. Uh, Cecil Adams did a whole thing on this few years ago about why there are no seatbelts in buses. And basically, the amount of money it would take to put seatbelts in school buses is far greater than the amount of money that would be paid out if kids were to die. In other words, so few children die because there are no seatbelts, that that is a more acceptable financial loss than the amount of money it would take to put seatbelts in every school bus in America. Uh, so he had a whole, uh, a whole, he's sort of a, uh, Cecil Adams, sort of like the original Mythbusters, except he also answers a lot of those open-ended questions, like where, you know, like, uh, like uh, how, long can, how long can man live on bread alone? And then he goes and he finds the answer. And so somebody said, why are there no seatbelts in buses? And he found out that's why the answer, that, that is why. So that's, you know. And plus, it's a little disturbing that that guy actually didn't understand how trains operate. Yeah. But, you know, what are you going to do? You know, politicians always ruin things and make them just a little bit worse than they have to I'm be. saying. Here's Tim Riley. So the debate is on tonight between Obama and McCain. Viewers could see something similar to these highlights from past presidential debates. There is no Soviet domination of Eastern Europe, and there never will be under a Ford administration. I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. It's not only what's your philosophy and what's your position on issues, but can you get things done? And I believe I can. I serve with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. Oh, that hurts. That leaves a mark even now. Of course, they lost. But uh, yeah. that was just a... Boy, that Reagan line. God, Reagan was good. I mean... Not I saw a, Reagan last night on a special... One you recommended to me, the History of Warner Brothers Studios. Uh, isn't that great? It was fantastic. Uh, yeah. They, uh, they cut holes in a bed for him to put his legs through. It was that classic, like, where's the rest of me? Totally, that's totally. that's how they did it. They, they cut holes in the mattresses for him to put his legs through. Chris Paddock sent that to me, and I sent it to you because I know you would like that. Fantastic. Yeah, Reagan was really, uh, when you said Reagan, you saw Reagan last night, that was like in a dream. Like oh. he appeared to you in a vision. No, well, he's never Tim, you're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> other people have appeared in dreams with that. It's been true on numerous occasions. One needed to appear in a dream to make that clear. Well, there's no way out of this one, Tim. 
the uh, yeah, Reagan was great. I mean, not at running the country or anything, but uh, he was man a great a great speech giver. I mean, no surprise he's not. TBN Radio. Man, he was, uh, was better. Anyway, was he a sportscaster at one point? Yes, he was. Yeah. WHO Des Moines. Yeah. And, and then he did those. Uh, Recreation of sporting events, I guess they used to do that because they couldn't cover everything live, so they have a guy with a script and some sound effects in the background. Really? Recreating games, yeah. On the radio? On the radio. I didn't know that. That's a really... Okay, no, no, Something else for Timmy Ryan to do when he's bored. <laughs> one of the one of the five thousand One of the 5,000 jobs that he can uh, that he can do. Wait, hold on. Uh, uh, let's see. All right. Well, I'm making a note to myself. I have another idea. Uh, da, 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 da. And then people, you know, people forget that Reagan was on the national stage. I mean, way before. I mean, when he was governor of California, uh, he is famously mentioned in the Creedence Clearwater Revival song "It Came Out of the Sky," which is about a, 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 an alien spacecraft landing. And um, there's the uh, what is it? The Washington said, "Put the thing in the pool room." The Vatican says it belongs. It belongs in Rome or whatever. And there's that line: "Ronnie the populist said it was a communist plot." Uh, so he was already kind of uh, nefarious if we're going back way back when. Ronald Reagan, those were the days. All right, here's Tim Riley. Sir, I have a couple of uh, local things here we should pay a little bit of attention to. Police are looking for a man who ripped off tourists who were hiking in the Ainsworth State Park. Somebody broke into their car and took a $4,000 wedding ring, purse, and credit cards. Who's stupid enough to leave that stuff in there? This happened in the gorge. The county sheriff's office said uh, people are, were from Indiana, and they're seeking the public's help. So don't leave stuff in your car. Especially if you're from Indiana. I mean... They had to be the wealthiest people in Indiana. Have the... <laughs> the Mr. Potter of Indiana. Millions of bullets have been found near Mount Talbert in Clackamas County, some of them dating back nearly a century. Tons of ammunition are being unearthed as part of a military effort to clean up the old firing range at Camp Withycombe. That's W-I-T-H-Y-Combe. Withycombe. The cleanup aims to restore hillsides to its natural habitat. In the process, a century-old military firing range has become something of a mining site. The Oregon Army National Guard is spearheading this, mining tons of dirt to remove the lead bullets. This old firing range was closed in the 1990s. The project gets underway in uh, July. So far, they sifted through 13,000 tons of soil, removing more than 21 million bullets. That's a, you know you don't ever really you don't think about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like you know is like uh, you know you don't think about bullets that are out there. Just like you don't think about, I, especially up and through the 70s, you don't think about the amount of pull tabs from beer cans that must still be out there buried somewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you talk about a thing that was just a colossally bad idea from the get go. Uh, this email says, Rick, after hearing about the douche faces you saw on Oprah, and they really were too. Just big, dumb, stupid, horse-faced Americans. Please um, help me. Totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, clearly haven't missed a meal in some time. Uh, and, you know, in a house that even just from the little background, I could tell it was, you know, a very, uh, I don't say upscale, but certainly kind of a plush suburban home, well-appointed. That, But that moment, look, I don't mean to be like Johnny Blue Collar or whatever, but, but that moment when, that, when the woman in the house, they, when Susie Orman was interrogating them, when the wife, half of this couple that was on Oprah last night, uh, when the wife half said, well, look, we're paying $3,000 a month in a mortgage, but Susie, and then she puts her hands up, she goes, but Susie, that's probably what we'd have to pay if we moved into an apartment every month. And it's like, I, I thought Susie Orman was going to reach through the television and pull out the woman's throat. I mean, the idea, how out of touch can you be? You're some idiot, you know, in a house that you can't possibly afford, and you just lie to yourself and say, we're going to stay in this house because, well, we'd probably be paying $3,000 a month in apartment rent, Susie. Uh, and so, and when Sarah and I were, Sarah was so angry, we were talking about in the break. 
People lying to each other, lying to themselves, lying to the bank, the bank lying right back to them, mm -hmm. lying to the person selling the house, and then making the tragic mistake of trying to lie to Susie Orman on nationwide television and then just being decimated, which is what you get coming to you. You know, that's what you do. You make dumb decisions, bad things happen to you. So, Jesus. Uh, this guy says, after hearing about the douche faces you saw in Oprah, I think I have a solution to uh, all of our financial woes, he says. Here's how we solve the crisis. All of the people who spent past their means on shiny gee gaws and moved into houses they could not afford under terms they did not understand will be responsible for their own bailout, American capitalist style. Here's my microeconomic solution, Rick. One, line up all of these deadbeats, the mortgage brokers who profited off them, and the Wall Street types who turned a willful blind eye to the fact that the money did not actually exist. Step two. Those of us still who still have money will pay $5 a blow to pummel these people with a bar of soap inside a tube sock for effing up our economy. Step number three. The beating ends when the person's debt is paid off via their personal pain. Some of the brokers and financial managers may look like a pile of awful outside a fishmonger by the time they, uh, the debt they caused us is actually paid off. But what are you going to do? There you go. I'm in favor of that. $5 a punch. Just line up these folks, $5 a whack, and everything ends when it's paid off. I'm for that. Here's Tim Riley. So Governor Kuligowski wants new electric cars to be assembled in Oregon. He has scheduled a trade trip to Japan and China to talk to Toyota and the Chinese car manufacturer BYD. The Chinese and the Japanese are looking to assemble their cars in North America. He said he'd like Oregon to be the place to do it. Uh, for that to happen, the state needs to provide battery charging stations along major routes. He also said there would be a need to be tax incentives to get more people to buy low and low emission cars. So these are like uh, little cookie jars on wheels if anybody wants to drive. Is that the uh, the alleged like smart car thing? I guess so. All right. I mean, you you can put like uh, well, I won't say that. Some of these uh, people would not be able to fit. I won't specify who they might be. Well, you know, Tim, there is going to be some belt tightening that's going on. Mm -hmm. They had to taser an emu. Is this a taser watch? I guess it is, yes. All right, here's your taser watch for Friday on the Rick Emerson Radio program. Here's your taser watch for Friday. Actually, it's a double. Here's your double taser watch for Friday. A big bird took a lot of drivers by surprise on a local highway. Somebody called 911 to report an ostrich running along SR-500, pecking at cars and chasing them. That is so great. It Where? True. This happened in Camas. That is so... An ostrich? Really? Well, it wasn't an ostrich, but an emu, which was chasing cars and scaring drivers. That is so great. Mm -hmm. God, here's to you, emu. Mm -hmm. That is wonderful. Chasing cars, pecking at windows, and terrifying drivers. Mm -hmm. I want to go find that emu and give it a big hug. A family in Camas said it is used to odd happenings around their homes since they do have dogs, goats, rabbits, pigs, and llamas. But they said they never thought they'd have to use such a serious force to subdue uh, an emu. I'm going to start putting all my money in the emu bank. The bird jumped his fence and escaped, and uh, animal control was caught. Oh, man, somebody sent me a picture of an emu, like, making the loud, angry, like, making the screamy, I'm going to kill you face. That's they, freaky. They can be very aggressive. Wow, you don't want to see this at your window. So people call 911, <laughs> reporting that a large bird was slowing down traffic near a canvas church and pecking at cars. Excellent. Uh, police showed up to get the bird back home, and not surprisingly, the emu was hard to catch. The police decided to use non-lethal force to capture the bird. They said, well, 
Let's not try to shoot him. So they tasered him. They hogtied the emu and brought him back. A typical day in the life of Daniel the emu. From where did the emu come, though? I mean, like, where? Somebody's house. Oh, yeah, okay. So, but he wasn't, he just got through the fencing or something? Apparently, he thinks the emu escaped because he sold two other emu and three llamas recently. So he was lonely. He was lonely or he figured he was next. An emu can run up to 45 miles an hour. I root, uh, as I, you know, here's the thing. I, I like either answer. A, that he was lonely, wanted to go find some company. Or B, he's like, oh, they're selling off my friends. All right, I'm not going to, this will not stand. Time to take, time to turn on the humans. They must pay for the sins that was visited upon my brothers. As I told Lara the other night when we were, uh, we watched, oh, it was, they were doing a thing on the TV, on the TV. They were doing a little thing on the news about your story, Tim, that the cougars are now stalking hunters. Yeah. Which is, which is wonderful. And, um. It was, you know, they 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 interviewed some idiot hunters like I, I would. Uh, this is a paraphrase. This is not what he actually said. But they interviewed some hunter and basically kept it. Well, I was just out there with a high-powered rifle trying to kill things when amazingly, part of nature decided to come after me. I mean, and he was like expressing all of this surprise that like he's out there with a gun blow, blowing things away, and that maybe a cougar decides, look, f this. It's 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 go time. Um, so I told Larry, you know what? In every one of these things, I root for nature. I root for the animals in every store. I never root for man. I don't ever root for humans, for humanity, for mankind. I root for the animals in every single face-off like this. So go, good for you, Emu. KCMD Portland, Part 2. The naked, I think a distraught man fell to his death after a police officer shocked him with a taser gun as he stood on a building ledge in New York City. Iman Morales was pronounced dead at a hospital after he fell 10 feet. That's not very far, is it? What kind of... That's not where he fell 10 feet. Really? He suffered serious head trauma when he hit the sidewalk. A New York Police Department lieutenant was stripped of his gun and badge, and the officer used his stun gun on the man was placed on administrative leave. The death of the man whose witnesses and neighbors said he became distraught and threatened to kill himself early in the day. It has a renewed focus on the use of tasers. It also raises questions over why Morales was shocked with a stun gun when there was no inflatable bag placed on the sidewalk to catch him in the <laughs> I guess. It's only 10 feet. And, and he wants to die anyway, and he's obviously nuts. I mean, you know. Why inconvenience everyone? Let it happen. Why Why not let nature take its course? I'm, you know, think of it as a sort of a, uh, think of it as a sort of a so, socialistic, uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. But, you know, sort of a capitalism of, a capitalism of survival. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to die. Maybe that all just works itself out. Uh, what are we doing here? Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hello. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Was that the taser watch? Yes, it was. Let's close that. I oh, will give that to you in a second, sir. Don't go anywhere. Fell 10 feet. Double taser watch for Friday. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, sir. Hey, how's it going? What's up? So I got a cool, quick story for you. Um, I was I live in Portland, but I have a client that lives in Newburgh on the mountains there. I don't know what the name of them are. I was uh, driving down this windy mountain the other day, rolling a cigarette in my car, <laughs> when all of a sudden I heard uh, Tim's voice doing the Darwin watch. A man rolling a cigarette, driving down a windy mountain, and just and I stopped and continued driving and waited till I got done. Good, good for you. See Tim making a positive impact in the world. My yes, thank you. I can't. I can tell you there are many, many things that I have stopped doing. There, there are many times where I. Oh, goodbye. I guess. Uh, there are times when I have actually stopped and thought to myself, Do I need to make this call while I'm navigating a left-hand turn on this windy road? Just because I hear Tim and Sarah going. 
you know, saying, well, it's a sad Darwin watch today, and then it's me being dead because I was doing something retarded. So, uh, I, I think about that a lot, Tim. Like, I, ju- I don't want to end up like a Darwin watch. I don't want to be one of my own stories. No, thank you. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. That's me? Yes, it is, sir. Hello. Hey, what's up? Um, we're just sitting around your board waiting for you to call. <laughs> oh. Really, the program can, re- can begin now, sir. Okay, well, I live in the Coop, and, uh, you know, they're digging up a lot of stuff along the Columbia River because there's a lot of stuff uh, down there uh-huh. that's uh, contaminated. And I personally did some stuff and dug up uh, an old brewery with cans and kegs. Let's back up for a second. They're digging a bunch of stuff up where? Uh, pretty much down by Main Street. And so when you say the... digging stuff up, like what, like with backhoes? Oh, yeah, Traco, digging deep. Is this because they're going to be building something? Yes. Okay, and so you went out yourself and you were digging something up. Is that legal? Uh, no, it was, it, it was by the federal government. And it was an artifact. No, but I guess what I'm saying, like, are you, as a citizen, just allowed to go digging up artifacts? Well, I do work for the government. Okay. Uh, and so then you found what? Uh, there was... There was many uh, beer bottles and uh, beer kegs from an old company that used to be there on the river. And so from what era would you say these come, sir? Uh, they're thinking of the 1950s. And All right, then. then. Another thing is <laughs> Marine Park. I don't know which, I don't know if you know that. It's a boat uh-huh. launch. And it used to be a shipyard. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, we were supposed to pave that. And now we can't because they want to dig up and find up uh, more stuff, yeah. whatever stuff yeah. they dumped. Yeah. Hey, did you find it kind of chilly this morning? Was it chilly? No, was I it chilly where you were? No, I didn't have to work. So. All right. Because uh, it was, you know, I was, uh, I, you know, it was kind of cold this morning. It wasn't really very warm. Do you remember back when it was hot? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, when it was hot. Remember how? Remember how it was hot and you get, I mean, you sweat. It was, it was hot outside. Yeah. Yeah. And then oh, uh and then oh, there was that one time when it wasn't so hot this summer. I mean there was that time when it was hot and then there was that time where it got kind of cooler and then there was some rain. So Rick, aren't you interested in that at all? In the fact that it used to be hot? No. And the fact that they're digging up sites on the side of Vancouver to find out what's buried in there from <laughs> Well, I suppose, sir. I suppose anything that relates to beer is sort of interesting to the audience in the abstract. Thank you for the heads up, my friend. Well, I love your show. I listen to you. Have a great show. Right. You call us anytime. Thanks so much. I figured the only way to get through that was to drive straight into it. And just, you know, my next thing was going to be to talk about, like, uh, you know, what's your favorite number? All right, here's Tim Riley. Two women tried to re- return some stolen clothing to a clack in the store for cash. The women were returning stolen clothing to a Sears without a receipt. The store's loss prevention officers say they spotted something out of the ordinary when the women tried to bring back stolen clothing. Shoppers are outraged at how bold these women were. We're in a big financial mess right now. What do they think they're going to do next, said Shoppel Linda. Pacamas County Sheriff's Office said Sears got tipped off by other security officers. That's when security at Sears started watching for the women and soon spotted them. There's no excuse for this. There's ways to get what you need, said Melissa. The sheriff's office said the women stole from Sears and then tried to return the stolen merchandise without a receipt. One of them got anxious and knew security's watching, so she got her stuff and left. <laughs> that's, just, bird, Ethel. that's just stupid, said Marilyn. <laughs> the sheriff's office says it believes it has the identities of one of the women. They're still looking for one. 
Now, people aren't too surprised. They just don't have any common sense or respect for anyone else. It's very sad. Trying to put needle in a haystack, my friends. <laughs> Stupid people in Clackamas. Have fun with that. Uh, how about this one? Oh, this is it. Listen to this email. Speaking of Tim's stories and Darwin watches, my neighbor has rented a wood chipper and has been feeding branches into it all day. I keep looking into his yard, waiting for the inevitable scene of him being pulled into it and having his remnants sprayed all over the street. This is how your show has made me think. I'll keep you posted. Thank you, sir. Please do. All right. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Uh, don't forget, coming up here in a few, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, bottom of the hour, we'll talk to Carly, who is uh, going to come in. She's the latest birth of a salesman, uh, semi-finalist. Uh, let's see. What else? Wait, hold on. Scott Daly coming up later on. His top five as well. His review of Choke. We'll talk to David Landers, alias Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley. And uh, more. Here's Tim Riley. So J.P. Morgan uh, Chase CEO Jamie Dimon says at a news conference that there are no decisions being made so far on the fate of WAMU's senior executives. But the one person who doesn't have to worry is the executive Alan Fisherman, who could walk away with more than $18 million in salary bonuses and severance pay after only three weeks on the and job. And severance pay. That's what really galls me right 18 there. $18 million in salary bonuses and severance pay. For how long on the job? Three weeks. All right. Get the book out. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Let's expand that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see. What's his name? His name is Alan Fishman. Alan, uh, just just like it sounds? Yes. One L or two? Only one. Alan Fishman. He can buy another one if he wants to. How much? $18 million 18. for three weeks on the job. All right. You know... So is that a thing that they're considering giving? By the way, Alan Fishman, you are now in the book. It will be dealt with at the appropriate time in the appropriate fashion. Oh, yes. Uh, so now is this a thing he might be getting or a thing he is getting? Um, probably more than likely. Probably more than likely. Uh, don't you think that this is... Uh, look, I don't mean to say... They will not up. reply to requests about comments about the severance packages. <sighs> okay. Uh, Michael Moore's obviously busy. He's doing something right now. He's got some the movie or whatever. I got two things to say about the, the current state of the financial... So uh, the bonus uh, is 365% of his salary, which is $3.65 mm -hmm. Okay. I know. I'm about to ask... Okay, hold on. Hold on. Thoughts are just coming faster than I can get them out. Hold on a second. His sign-on bonus was $7.5 million. Uh, all right. This will make you feel a little bit better. He got 612,500 shares of WAMU, which are now worthless. Uh -huh. All right. Uh, They're only so, six, worth 16 cents a share. Okay, here's a question, Tim, and I know I'm asking you something you probably can't answer. Okay, but I'll try it. He's getting a bonus for what, exactly? Let's see. Sorry, a bonus is when something goes really, really well. What is he give, For what is the bonus being given? That's a good question. That's all it, it I want to know. Say what the bonus is. For. I would like to know for what accomplishments this bonus is being given. They do have customer appreciation Fridays. It is the. <laughs> they have lollipops in the bowl if you go to the right branch. Oh man, and they have the hottest they teller. They have lollipops in our southeast one. <laughs> oh no, but downtown they have the hottest, the hottest teller. This People blonde in girl. These don't deserve gifts. I keep trying to talk about this hot bank teller. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh God. No. People in southeast don't deserve gifts. I want to talk about gifts. lollipops. <laughs> Me too, sure Sarah. Chock full of all the homeless people that hang out in front of the Fred Meyer. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, we need fine bank, lollipops, hot girl downtown. But, but I mean, so I, I, I don't even know where to. I mean, a bonus. I, I, that's that's what I want to know. Like above all things, Here right now. The agreement says that Fishman would have to pay back part, part, but doesn't say what part of all of his bonus if he ends his employment for any reason other than constructive termination. And so. 
If Fishman is terminated without cause, which could mean the loss of a job due to a takeover of the firm, or if he resigns because of a constructive termination. Is this a, what is a constructive termination? I don't know what that means. That's an interesting... And like, he, he would receive a lump severance payment of just 6.15 oh, oh, he should million. receive a lump severance payment, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, so I got a couple things. Okay, so bonus, WTF. Uh, two other things. One, I was saying, Michael Moore's kind of got his hands busy right now with doing other stuff, and Sasha Baron Cohen's busy making that movie about Bruno, the gay fashion guy. So... Really, though, this is the time, don't you think, when somebody, and I would do it myself, but I'm, I got, you know, stuff to do. Uh, really, as, as they say in Animal House, it's time for somebody, what is it they say? A really pointless and futile gesture be done on somebody's part. Somebody, some person who does political or social theater, and I don't mean like actual, like, shall I compare these to a summer's day theater? I mean, somebody who does sort of happenings, stunts, public sort of, uh, you know, where you kind of get the, the attention for doing something weird in front of a camera somewhere, and everybody kind of pays attention to you for 10 minutes and you highlights an issue, like an Abby Hoffman-style thing. Somebody needs to do a little piece of political theater about this or that guy or a guy like that right now. And I was saying earlier, I'm kind of surprised that nobody has just, you know, because there was that, remember a few years ago on the Internet, there was that whole scandal where, uh, like these, like, like real rabid anti-abortion guys were going online, and there were these web pages where they would put the home addresses of doctors that performed abortions, and there was this whole kind of, I think there was a Supreme Court case about it, about like, can't is it, a, is it a threat if you post some abortion doctor's address online? Uh, oh, yeah, and yeah, and I, I forget what the that. court actually ruled. I think the court ruled that you were allowed to do it. Mm-hmm. If it was public, in other words, if it was publicly accessible information, you were allowed to say, hey, this abortionist lives at, and you could give out his address. So, I mean, unless it's illegal, I'm surprised if somebody hasn't gone, look, uh, this guy who works for, like, the, uh, you know, the nitwittery motor company. Here's where he lives. And, by the way, he just got $39 million. Company sucks. Here's his address. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. But this is the time when somebody needs to be doing some kind of funny, angry piece of theater about something like that. Um, also this, and I made this prediction to Lara last night, and I stand by this. This is exactly the time. This is the the window is open right now, and Steve Kastenbaum, who's calling, will actually be able to weigh on this a bit. This is now the perfect window for some, because you know, the big fan of the evolution of music and how it interacts with societal, uh, you know, conditions. This is the perfect time for the emergence of a new sort of Bruce Springsteen figure. And I'm not being silly when I say that. It's, it's kind of a well-known thing. I think that the worse the economy is and the worse the country is, the better the music gets. You know, bad times give us good music. That's just the way it is. And you know, Springsteen was just such a lightning rod is the wrong term, but he, you know, he was very, very much became. I think symbolic for what a lot of people were feeling in the in the downturn of the Reagan years, and he spoke for a lot of people. And whether he wanted it or not, he kind of got this voice of a sort of a voice of a, of a disadvantaged slice of America label kind of put on him. And now is really the time for some other guy to step in and fill that void. I will be amazed if within six months there is not some new powerful voice in American music that emerges. Probably somebody that we haven't ever heard of, or somebody that has been very very underneath the radar. I'll be very surprised if we, by next April uh, some new musician does not emerge as like the next big thing. I'll be staggered by that. Is this Lisa filling in for Steve? All right. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, then, from the Hill, CNN radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Is it two hours ago already? Hello. It's, I know. Can you believe? You know, I was kind of excited. I was hoping maybe I'd get Steve's music by mistake. Wait. Hold on. Okay. All right. All right. 
Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. From the Hill, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello. Oh, I totally dig it. That's great. Can you identify this piece of music? No. Are you kidding me? It's about New York. It's some kind of New York thing, right? Yeah, but you're just saying that's a bluff. Because that's Steve's in New York. Steve was really excited when you picked it, and there was a whole email chain about it, and I, I just I just can't remember. All right. That is uh, the music from the television uh, show Barney Miller. Oh, yes, of All course. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, how much of my last rant did you just hear? A, a lot, and I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. Yeah, there needs to be some Abby Hoffman guy out there doing a kind of a big, showy, funny, stupid, angry piece of political theater about this whole debacle right now. Uh, you know, and I, there's a lot of people sort of, but there's a lot, right now, the problem with the internet is it kind of makes people lazy. And I don't mean that in a bad way as such. I'm just saying, with the internet, everybody has this idea that when they want to make a grand sort of a statement, like you used to have to, if you wanted to make some sort of funny theatrical protest, you had to like go do something and then make sure the cameras are going to be there. And now everybody just kind of goes, you know, I'm going to write a funny email and see if I can get my friends to forward it around to everybody. And then it's like just on sort of an amusing chain letter that you read and then you kind of forget about. Like, there's, I'm sure there's a million chain letters going around right now that consist of basically this. Well, how about instead of giving 700 million to the fat cats, you blah 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 blah, and then it's a list of like yeah. other things or people that could use 700 million. And I, you know, just right. Or there was a good one actually. One of one of our radio anchors, one of our kind of like more Republican leaning uh, radio anchors, sent one out to all of us. Like we should be reporting this story. And it was one of these that said, uh, you know, if you divide 700 billion by all the people in America, that's 400,000 for everyone, you know, and, and like you said, this out, he's like, why aren't we doing this story? You know, we should all be getting this money. Right. And I was like, it's actually 400 bucks. Did you get my email in the last, uh, I don't know, half hour? Uh, did you probably you, don't check email during the Did show. you send it to my other email address? I guess. Should yeah. I read it now or will it disturb me? It, no, it's hilarious, actually. The latest issue here with the... Um, um, wait, it's not here. Uh, you sending it to my uh, to my CBS email or to my uh, quasi private email address? I guess your other one. I don't know. I know I don't see it. Um, oh, I might no, have I got nothing. Up. I well, is it something you can tell me in the air? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great thing. So, uh, in the last hour, we've had what we thought was going to be the key meeting. Finally, House Republicans coming to the table. Uh, they were going to maybe figure out some kind of mishmash of a deal, uh, and. Reporters were all. I went down there only one time because I've been running around. But everyone's waiting out in the hallway to see what happens. We see the Democrats go in. These are the top Democrats on banking in in, in Congress. Barney Frank, Chris Dodd. They're all going in. Rahm Emanuel goes in. Chuck Schumer goes in. We're waiting. We're waiting. Uh, a half hour later, Chris Dodd comes out. Let me see if I can play this soundbite. It was fantastic. He comes out of this meeting and he says... There was uh, apparently some miscommunication at the leadership level about the gathering here. So we'll just reconvene. Uh, essentially, the Republicans never showed up. Democrats didn't know why. And uh, they just said, oh, yeah, apparently some kind of miscommunication. So the, this is happening while they're... This is happening uh, precisely at the meeting in which they are trying to figure out uh, whether to spend, loan, or insure hundreds of billions of dollars worth of uh, Wall Street debt and perhaps save the economy. All right. So, so uh, yeah, they me, couldn't figure out the meeting time or place or something. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. I'm just going to ask this in a very direct okay. sense. Are you, in fact, telling me that while the economy is, you know, cratering or about to crater while they're trying to fix 
you know, like the largest bank failure in U.S. history. Auto industries, other people asking for tens of billions of dollars. Yeah, about $25 billion for last, this industry. Right? Last week they had what they called, quote, an unseen spike in unemployment. Uh, you know, the biggest in like, I don't know, however, like 18 years or something like that. I don't know. If it, yeah, it was, it was uh, significant uh, jobless claims, right? Are, are you in fact telling me that they had a meeting on this today and the Republicans just never showed up? I think what it, well, that is right. And, but I think the bigger point is we don't know if they purposely didn't show up. It seems more likely that uh, someone got the time and place wrong, perhaps everyone how could they have gotten how many places are there to me it's a it's a city the size of a hallway i i i well you know the cap the capital is a big place but it, i i can't explain they don't have phones now they can't call <laughs> I can't, I can't. hey we're wandering are, are we in room 210 or room 315 i can't remember tell and, us where to go and you, they had a half hour to look at their blackberries and you know chuck schumer and rahm emanuel were all over their blackberries uh but i i can't explain it all i can tell you is that um what was thought to be the most critical meeting of the last two days, which are the two critical days, uh, did not happen and has been postponed because uh, Republicans did not arrive, and we don't know why. And Chris Dodd said he thought it was a miscommunication, which, you know, it, it, it very much – I'm not being sarcastic here. It, it really could have been, and if it was, I almost think that's worse. <laughs> I almost think that's a bigger problem if they can't figure that out. I don't know. I don't know. All right. If Sarah could tell you right now, I'm actually I'm just taking a lot of deep breaths. Yeah, you've got to breathe because I can tell that you're getting livid. <laughs> clenching my fist. I, 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 I probably should have been more hesitant and even... Oh, no, no, no. I'm glad you told me. I mean, I always like to have my rock-bottom opinion of all of humanity confirmed. Good God almighty. I mean, it, it just... It, 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 they're not even bright children running this country. Oh. You know, They're like children who were kicked in the head while shooing a mule at some point. And it just left them like some sort of evil Phineas Gage. You know what I mean? Jesus. You can hold out one one hope in uh -huh. your you know, West Wing Aaron Sorkin mind. Right. Maybe this was a brilliant move by Democrats. To, uh, maybe they made the whole thing up and uh, Republicans were never invited and uh, they just want Republicans to look bad. I, I, I highly doubt it, but I'm trying to keep I'm trying to keep you going here. I mean, I do have to tell you, I mean, I was having the discussion with somebody a few days ago and it was the discussion that I think happens more and more frequently in this country. And it is the why do I bother to vote? Uh, oh, and no. oh, well, I'm just saying it wasn't even really in the abstract. I mean, it was it was a it was a conversation that was already happening in the hallways here. Right. Uh, and I sort of walked by and I stopped to listen for a while. But they were they were really having it. One person was really actually asking the other person, really asking sincerely, trying to find the answer to why should I vote? And, you know, I do believe it is things like this that really just drive home that apathetic nail uh, into the sort of coffin of people's political involvement. Because seriously, the bunch of people who you have voted into office, forget what party they're from, to fix this, can't even be bothered to go to the meeting, and if it's miscommunication, apparently can't be bothered to pick up the phone, which was invented 125 years ago, to find out where they're supposed to be. So the whole thing does really, uh, the whole thing really does uh, give you absolutely zero faith in the idea that anybody really has any vested interest. And the only way that we're ever going to get a group of people who want to fix this is if you take their money, you take their houses, you stick them in government housing somewhere, you all put them in, you put them in the Cabrini Green project, and you say, you know what, your fat ass is going to live here until you fix the stupid broken economy. Now get to work, and you're not leaving this place, and you are not moving, and you are not going home until things work. Now get on it, Sparky.
And that's it, man. There would be something to that if we had some provision. You know, yeah, you are the leaders of our country. You get a lot of power, but you have to live in the places facing the toughest problems. We will never fix... You have got to live them each day. We will never fix anything in this country until... And I don't mean to be some class warrior, fat cast in Washington guy, but it's just a fact. You will never... People won't work on stuff they don't have a vested interest in. You will never fix the problems in this country until the fate of the politicians, let's say, is lashed to the fate of the middle class or lower class, you will never get change. That's why I think, you know, I, I've said for a long time that I think uh, members of Congress, members of the, the president, uh, I do believe that they ought to have, there should be some study, some survey to determine what is the health care system that the average American has. You find some mean level. What health care does the average American have? That ought to be the health care that the politicians and their children have. Mm. I mean, it ought to be exactly that. And they don't get anything better until the rest of the country gets something better. So I right. do want to say one word for voting. I do feel like I've got, I've got to put a little warmth in there for voting. Mm-hmm. I, and you're, the outrage is all across the country right now, clearly, in general, about politicians and in general about our government. Uh, but here's the reason. The, the people that have been negotiating this deal, and even the president himself, these are people who get reelected and ha- who have been reelected. And the reason that they all generally get reelected is because people who disagree with them don't show up at the polls. And the people who go to the polls are, are people who kind of uh, some of them go out of habit, some of them go out of a, a, a spirit of um, I don't know patriotism. But but in general, the, the people who go to the polls. Re-elect the same people who are in office. Oh no, I'm with you on that. It's I. Uh, I don't know how much time you got here, but one else, you got to vote. One one brief anecdote here. Uh, there's um somebody I've known for a long time, uh, and uh, she used to listen to my show way back in the day, as they say, when I was in the Utah, like years and years and years ago. And every now and again, I'll, I'll get an email from her, and it's long story short she's you know a big she's big 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 bleeding heart and uh you know very very politically active and she's a vegan and she you know whatever wears natural fibers and i don't know sits around <laughs> sits around and listens to sits around and listens to whatever it is you listen to when you're that kind of person these days. i don't know what those kids listen to these days um but she's very very militantly politically active about something and she's this huge obama supporter okay and i'm just going to say this and i'm uh, you obviously don't have to reply to this but i'm just my opinion here Right. I sent her this email and I basically said, you know, I, I said it, it, it's not even really disappointing. It's just sort of surprising to me because the idea is the conventional wisdom is that the older you get, the more conservative you get and the more you sort of trust in government. That's how you get my in-laws that you when you are young, you know, when you're young and you're in college or you're just out of college, that's when you want to shake things up, man. And that's when you you know, are idealistic and you want to swing for the fences. I mean, that's why. And I mean this. I don't mean this in a snarky way. Young people and especially college people. That's when they're like, hey, this country is broken. We got to fix it. Time for big, bold moves. Mm-hmm. And then the older you get. The more conventional you get, the more conservative you get, and the older you get, the more you cling to guns and butter and God and government. And that's just a fact. And so I told her the conventional wisdom anyway. Yeah, nice. Okay, go ahead. And I sent her this long email because she was like telling me, she's like leaning, she's like, you've got to really push for more Obama on your show. I can't believe you're not behind Obama more. And I, I sent her back this really well-reasoned email, and I said all of what I just told you. And I said it is sort of surprising to me that young people – And I know how old that makes me sound, but young people are so behind Obama because, you know, I thought that when you were young, you wanted to throw out the baby in the bathwater. And when you were older, you clung to, you know, to to tradition. The idea that you're ever going to fix this stupid, broken country of ours with the two party system is just laughable. It's absurd. The two party system is never, ever, ever 
going to fix anything. And as Steven Tyler once said, if you always do what you always done, you're always you're going to get what you always got. And so if all the people who are behind Obama, and let's just talk about, like, the kids, if all the kids who are behind Obama, if they put all that energy toward a third-party candidate, you'd have a strong third-party candidate this time, and you'd have an electable third-party candidate in eight years. And But instead, we're just going back to the conventional two-party system, which is really a one-party system, and we're going to get the same crap we've always gotten, rinse, repeat, over and over, ad nauseum. And it just it surprises me that young people are so willing to cling to old politics like this. It's just never going to fix anything. Ever, 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 ever. All you need to do, give me the website address. Where, where are you starting this revolution? I don't know. It's, 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 my time has passed. <laughs> so, seriously. I mean, no, but, but you know, here's the, the, I will tell you this. And one final thing, and I know I'm just going on about this, but you know what? It is what people are talking about. I He's crazy in a lot of ways, and he, unfortunately, post-2000, he's become... Much crazier. Uh, but, you know, Ralph Nader. Let's talk about Ralph Nader for just one second. Oh, gee, you know, Ralph Nader's press guy was here at my Senate booth, uh, I guess it was last night, like right in the middle of everything was happening. And he said, hey, Ralph Nader's downstairs. you want to interview him? And I was like, I do. I, right. I, I, you know, I had to do a, I had like three live shots. I, did, I, I was not going to be free for the next 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. I had to say no. It was very sad. I'll tell you this. Ralph Nader, in many ways, people are angry at him because he screwed up the 2000 election, and that's arguable whether he did that or not. Uh, but, you know, I'll tell you this. Ralph Nader is one of the smartest people who has ever been in front of a camera anywhere. I mean, just I mean, all the way back to, you know, when he was a consumer advocate in the 60s. I will tell you this. I would put Ralph Nader at least uh, the way he was uh, back before 2000 when he kind of went bonkers and started to have this, he got kind of a little bit of a messiah complex. Mm. I would put Ralph Nader in charge of the economy like that, like today, yesterday. I'd put Ralph Nader in charge of my entire financial destiny at this point because he's a guy who understands numbers and the realities of who they work and how they work. And, and at least at that point, didn't seem to have an agenda except wanting something that was running. That it's Ralph Nader seemed like one of those guys who is so anal retentive and type A, like me picking up white specks off the counter, it seemed to personally offend him that things were being run in a messy fashion. You know? And he, <laughs> yeah. by all accounts, by the way, by all accounts, he is an, obs- an, an unbelievable obsessive compulsive in terms of straightening things, adjusting things. There's stories of Ralph Nader going into rooms and adjusting pictures over and over and over again because they're not quite level. Oh, I'm so even more disappointed that I couldn't I couldn't yeah. connect with him. I don't know if that's true, but there's stories of him, like, uh, having to buy shoelaces in like, certain amounts and, like, having to make sure his shoelaces are pulled out the same amount on each side. He is, I'd put that guy in charge of the economy right now. But instead, uh, you know, we're, we're just going back to the same two uh, groups of, you know, of nitwits that have continued to put us in one bind after another. So, I mean, you well, know, you know he, no point. You know, in, at least in Florida and in a couple of other states, it's very spotty, but, but definitely in Florida, Ralph Nader is helping Barack Obama now. Yeah. If, if you put Ralph Nader on the ballot, Barack Obama... His his points go up, John McCain's go down. So Nader's taking away from McCain voters in Florida right now. I'm going to tell you, it's pretty bad when I hear Ron Paul talking yesterday and I actually find myself going, well, I guess he's not so bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, do you have, I, I, I'm sorry, I know you probably had actual other stuff to get to here, but... Um, uh, you know, we've got, well, we, oh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi just stepping up to the mic. Here's a little taste. Package for our markets. But more important. Oh, yeah, that's really, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, she's really exciting. That's, Woo! that's what's going on right now. Yeah, let me know when you find some photos of her from about 35 years ago, because I think she's probably a dish. 
Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think she's still, uh, I think she's still. Well, I got this whole thing. I think yeah, I was telling Sarah this year that I, powerful women are kind of, uh, I find that kind of hot. So, uh, you know, here's a little sidebar you can work on because I know you don't have anything else going on. Uh, really, just uh, if, if ever there can be a list of, like, some of the companies that are going to be getting this money, like specific companies that would get a little piece of this trillion, I think people would like to see that. And also, and I'm just going to make this observation to you, and this really is my final point here because we got so terribly behind with, you know, all, all the all the all the whatnot. Um, I made this point earlier today that I really am astonished that no sort of I don't know online kind of guerrilla style hacking group. I'm astonished that somebody hasn't gone out and found like the personal information or home address of some of these CEOs that were uh, you know steering the ship right into the rocks and then got like an 18 million dollar kiss goodbye. I'm surprised that no sort of scurrilous, like, hacking Sarah Palin's email type guy. I'm surprised nobody's gone online and found, like, the home addresses of those guys and just posted it somewhere. You know, like, just for just for grins. I will be surprised if it doesn't happen. I'm telling you right now, we are, the, the threads are close to snapping uh, in the heads of a lot of people right now. I'm just imagining, almost in this sort of, like, alternate, what if the South won the Civil War kind of way, like, 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 what if you, uh, you know, took over the CBS Evening News, or what if you, what if your this program uh, mm. uh, was was broadcast in some kind of way that everyone heard it? Uh, From your mouth to Les Moonves' ears. Insane. Yeah. Um, I. Uh, it's quite I, a picture. I will tell you, the the American people uh, now, having said it was my last remark, this is my last remark. The American people at this point are, and I don't mean to sound all philosophical, like I know everything about everything, but just my one thing I do know is the is the cultural pulse a lot of the time. The American people right now are so unbelievably ready, and I would say hungry, for someone who has a strong, authoritative, we are going to cut the crap and we are going to do something about this, you bastards, uh, person right now. I mean, the next, that's why I was saying there's got to be a new Springsteen emerging in the next I six months. Good rock beat, yeah. No, there's, there's somebody. That, that right now, the time is now for some Springsteen, Howard Beale guy to get up there and say, like, this is it. Like, we, the line must be drawn here and no further. So, okay, I'm going to go. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think there are people at home maybe with, with lighters, you know, uh, uh, they're holding them up. Uh, whatever. Or cell phones. No. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, really, if you're going to do that, just send me some cash instead. No, no. No, I think you're exactly right. But the fun, the crazy thing is that there's so much outrage that's been building for so long. It's like it has these moments. It has these fits and starts. And then people flatline because they're so frustrated. Oh, I'm telling you, there's, there, we are like one incident away. Uh, you mark my word, sister. All right. Here's uh, hoping. Here's hoping. On that, uh, on that creepy note, uh, have a good weekend. We will probably. Are you on Monday? I am on Monday. All right. We'll talk to you then, and uh, enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Okay, great. Thank you, Lisa. All right, there you go. I'm sorry for just going on the whole thing there, but come on. Jesus. I mean, as I said, when you, you know, Sarah, when you and your friends go out, I mean, not that your friends are deep thinkers, but when you go out, you have a good time, you drink, you watch bands, whatever. Actually, my friends are very heavily into politics. And so... Well, I've, I've, I've staunch Republican friends, like, very actively Republican, like, so much so that they're... My friend Kyle worked on the um, the Bush campaign last right. year. Do you, know who has, years back. do you know who has a degree in political science? Who's that? Adam from the Pimp Squad. Adam has a degree in political science. He worked on the Schwarzenegger campaign. Interesting. I uh, I hate to sound condescending. He's a smart guy. He really is. I mean, you know, you hear him on the air and you get one facet of that persona. He's a really sharp guy. Uh, yeah, he has a degree in political science, worked in the Schwarzenegger campaign. He said that was enough to sour him on politics. He said, you know, he got he worked in the Schwarzenegger and he was like, he's like, F this. It was just one big 
you know, one big uh, circle of lies. I just got an email from Hillary Clinton. Really? <laughs> yeah. I just got an email from John McCain saying he already won the debate. Have you seen that? No. I just got a statement from Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase. Really? Is it saying you like to hear it? Say, dear, dear Mr. Riley, sorry about the effing. No, what will change soon? You'll be able to use over 9,300 Chase ATMs. Be free. In the future, you will begin to see the Chase name on your statements online and on your credit cards as they reissue. Right. Your branch will be renamed Chase, and you'll be reissued new debit cards with the Chase name. Until then, bank as you do today. As our systems merge, you'll be able to use any of the Chase branches nationwide. This won't take place this year, and we'll let you know in advance of any changes. We will look forward to hearing you with new product services and convenience in the coming months. Because mm-hmm. Chase is like the main one on the East Coast, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a New York bank. Yeah. Is that, and they're one of those banks that have been around like forever and ever and ever, right? I mean, they've been around like, I mean, they're, they're old school, the oldest of the old school. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, I do feel like, um, you know, and they say your friends are into politics. Uh, you know, it's all upstairs. It's, yeah, I like hearing people's opinions, too, because I feel like you learn a lot when you discuss it. You know? Yeah. And well, you know, and, and that's why not to be all about the glory of us. But, you know, I posted that thing on my blog about the guy saying you're too liberal. And then immediately you're too conservative. And I don't mean to be like we're the best thing ever. But that is, I think, what in a large way sets this show apart. And if I can broaden it out for just one second. We're one of the last things ever. Well, and can I just say this? I mean, look, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We get people who maybe listen to Dennis Miller aren't crazy about Lycus. We get people who listen to this show who so tell me they're like, oh, I don't know, Dennis Miller, right wing, whatever. But you know what? I, I have this crazy thing. I have this dumb thing in my head where I think that maybe people can have two ideas in their head at the same time. Uh, you know, and so the, the idea that I have to put on, you know, a whole bunch of lineup that's all liberal or all conservative or all whatever is just stupid. I mean, the average American, you know, that listens to this station and talk radio anyway, talk radio listeners, they're smart enough to have more than one idea in their head simultaneously, mm-hmm. which is why this isn't a whole station of liberals or a whole station of libertarians or a whole station of conservatives, because you're not that dumb. You can hear more than one idea. And as Robert Guillaume said, if um, he said, if you're dumb, surround yourself with smart people. And if you're smart, surround yourself with smart people who disagree with you, because it's the only way you're ever going to learn anything. And on that note, we will take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Carly, who wants a gig as a salesperson here at AM 970. That is a shrewd life investment, Carly. Jesus. Uh, Let's see what else is coming up. Scott Daly, David Landers, top five, more from Tim Riley. This is the best song ever recorded. This is really, at this moment, if I could have picked a bumper, this Public Enemy song is exactly what I need to hear right now. All right, well, back after this, the Rick Emerson Show. One bank, one car, one name that's known all over the world. Fail. <coughs> one spirit. I love his hand gestures, too. We get to share it. Leading us all to higher standards. Oh, that was a simpler time. Now, Wachovia could be the next bank to sell out. The New York Times reports the firm is in talks with Citigroup about a potential merger. They say the talks are in the early stages. Or your university. Do you like the Yankees? Or is NASCAR more your speed? I wish well, I was dead. your choice, your right, 
to pick a card that shows your heart and your pride. We're one with affinity and we'll carry each other, carry each other. And now, now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A 15-year-old charged as an adult for beating a good Samaritan aboard a max train only gets probation and she has to go for mental health treatment. It's a bad Samaritan. Mm -hmm. Some liberal judge let her get off easy. As they always do, Tim. So as we uh, speak... The debate will go on tonight, and uh, there have been no further mergers. Oh, I forgot about that. And there's the president. <laughs> there's a debate between two candidates. Uh, then guess who's getting tough of the Russians? Pirates. <laughs> a Ukrainian ship seized off Samoa by pirates. Took 33 Russian T-72 tanks in its cargo. The Russian defense minister said there's a very substantial quantity of ammunition and spare parts, too. It's not immediately known where the tanks are being shipped to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently, they're being uh, sold in accordance with international law, wherever they were going. (laughs) Really? Did you just read that without laughing? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. All uh, all regulations regarding international trade of weapons are being followed. All right. There you go. Jesus. Neighbors are defending a Texan accused of murdering a teenager over snacks. The trial of a man accused of executing a teen who broke into his home with friends looking for snacks. As many in the border town of Laredo, Texas, outrage, not because of the crime, but because the man is facing a murder charge. In the state with the right to use deadly force to protect one's life and property is all about Texas. Prosecutors uh, have to explain their decision to try Luis Gonzalez. Even their future boss, the man who is running uncontested, who are district attorney, uh, apparently is defending Gonzalez, a wiry, graying 63-year-old who endured several break-ins to his trailer in this hard scrabble community. Apparently some boys, ages 11 to 15, broke into his trailer to ranch for chips and soda. Gonzalez was in a nearby building at the time. He went to the trailer, confronted the boys with a 16-gauge shotgun. The boys are forced to their knees. And then the boys claimed that they were begging for forgiveness when Gonzalez hit them with the barrel of the shotgun and kicked them repeatedly. Oh, wait, so they're not dead? No. Oh, I see, I, see, I was going to be all torn about it for a second, because on the one hand... You know, I'm kind of a big bleeding heart about these things. On the other hand, somebody breaks into your house, they get what they get. So he didn't actually kill him. He just gave him a good beating. Yeah. Well, well, F those kids. Break into some guy's house, you get a beating. Break into my house. I'd, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to give you. I'd want to. I'd have my, I'd have my wife do it. All right. Uh, let's do a couple more here, and then we will bring in um, Carly, who is the uh, latest birth of a salesman uh, semifinalist. And we got a guy who's been on hold for a bit. So we'll, uh, uh, here's uh, Tim Riley. A Florida firefighter is accused of taking a severed leg from a crash scene. Where is that at? I hadn't even... You were just going to play like crickets accidentally anyway. Whatever. Here's Tim Riley. So fire crews were forced to amputate this fellow's leg. They're free from a car wreck. However, the leg didn't go with him. It appeared that the firefighter took the leg and put it in a freezer. It's not normal for remains or pieces or parts to be removed from the accident scene. Freezer. I barely knew her. Uh... The uh, district fire chief calls the incident disturbing. The fire department and the Florida Highway Patrol are investigating. Mm-hmm. Uh, the man is still in fair condition. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hey, happy Friday, Rick. Yo, yo, what's up? Hey, I had some friendly advice for the last caller from the Cove. Who was the last caller from the Cove? She was oh, digging the up guy the brewery? digging up beer bottles, yes. <laughs> um, well, I could be wrong, but it sounds like he's never called the radio show. Yeah. And... For anybody who hasn't called the radio show, 
when you call in, whether you talk to the screener or not, you're always waiting for a god-awful scratching sound. <laughs> and then you're on the air. Yes. And also speak with a little volume and a little <laughs> zest. Uh, that guy sounds like he just rolled rolled out of bed and picked up the phone and called you. Well, it's tiring digging up old broken beer boxes. I was going to say, it's tiring looting, uh, excavating a site where there are artifacts. Although it sounds like the artifacts are, in fact, just some crap that was buried under the dirt. Like, he was making it sound as though he was, like, finding a complete Indian skeleton or something. And you should be nice to him, too. Sometimes you forget that you've been on the radio for 20 years or whatever it is, and... People are kind of nervous when they call no, me. That's fine. You know what? I didn't yell. I didn't shout the way that some hosts uh, do. I was very nice to him, and I tried to take the conversation down to his speed by speaking about the weather. Uh, yeah, I know. Can I point out one more thing? Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that one How coming. Did you not. Oh, I suck. Uh, on KCMD Portland. <laughs> hey, KCMD Portland, a CBS radio station. All right. Uh, Tim, read one more, and in the meantime, in between time, uh, Richie, can we bring Carly into the studio? That'd be great. Uh, here's Tim Riley. Senate Democrats unveiled their 56 billion economic stimulus package on Thursday, less than an hour before, leaving to meet President Bush at the White House to continue the fragile negotiations on the financial rescue bill. So this is another one. Wait, so is this a different? Is the yes, economic stimulus is this different from the? It is, because I guess the e economics needs some stimulating, and it's going to cost 56 billion dollars to to do it. And wait a minute, not? wait a minute, hold up. Now, what is that 56 billion dollars for? Well, uh, let's see here. Calling it an emergency recovery package that will help middle-class families struggling from the weekend Bush-McCain economy. This plan includes a $7.5 billion down payment and $25 billion in loans for the struggling auto industry. So they try to push this through without telling anyone. Urge to kill rising. All right. Did Richie vanish? Is Richie not the... Uh... I don't... Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, whatever. Richie, where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like he's just a blast of noise. Sounds like he's digging up bottles on the coast of Vancouver. I think he just said cayenne. All right, well, whatever. Uh, all right, let's welcome that. Wait, hold on. Well, let's welcome to the uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. <laughs> that's a, that's great. Uh, that microphone, the spring, is a little strong. Here, don't. Can you pot her down for a second? Yep. Just here's the thing. Let me adjust this, Carly. Hold on. Don't you don't you worry. All right. And these screws are all loose. All right, second. Live radio. My screw right. over here is stuck. It's really annoying. All right, don't be afraid to just uh, move that around, and then uh, you want to get right up on it, like about, like, there you go. Exactly. If you, pull, you go. If you get back, there we lose you. So, all right, we're going to welcome now Carly to the Rick Emerson Show. You are the latest semifinalist in the Birth of a Salesman uh, contest. Hello, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Sorry, you got a chair there that's like a toadstool. I know, it's like you're trying to, uh, like, you're like a power play over her. All right. Because she's in the sinky chair. That's right. Uh, we should have done this in the office with a big picture of me behind my desk. Uh, Richie, do we have Carly's, uh, her original entry form? Do we have that? And by we, you? <laughs> Just Johnny on what the spot today. today. I don't know, man. Hey, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much was Richie hitting on you? Oh, not at all. That's a lie. You're a lie. You're I'm immune. From... <laughs> you're... Let's see, there you go. You're you're impervious. What gives, Richie? All right. What's going on, Mr. Man? Do you have her sheet? Yeah, you where's my had... sheet? They were stapled together with her. You must have had something with what you called. Did you give it to me? All right. Well, you know what? Never mind. Screw it. Then it's my fault. Sorry. All right. All right, Carly. So uh, we are looking for the next great American salesperson uh, for AM 970 here at CBS Radio. We had people go online, 100 words, why you want to be an AE. Uh, and then we uh, pick 10 to call on the air, 5 in the studio. Three, uh, we'll get 15 minutes face-to-face -face with Michael Pashana, general sales manager. Perhaps one gets the gig, et cetera. Uh, so welcome to the uh, Rick Emerson Radio Program. First of all, I'm going to say you dress very well. Oh, I'm I'm just the picture of style. I'm not say. saying that because you're a chick either, because we had that guy last week, two weeks ago, with the suit. 
Remember the guy with the weird, the red and black I suit? Indeed. The Billy J, Billy Armstrong guy? All right, so, um, okay, so you are the one, did you, were you the one that sold rocks to your friends? You sold rocks to your friends or lemonade or something? Oh, no, I had the, the most stellar lemonade stand ever okay, when so I was like six. Please so. to give a, a, plea, a brief recap of your lemonade stand. It was Carly's Snack Shack. It was a thing of beauty. I tons of different kinds of cookies and human signs, and I hired neighbor kids. And How old were you? I was about six. And so did you have your friends standing at there like Burma shave signs, like marking the way to the only three miles to Carly's Snack Shack? They did, and they had to, there was a one that they had to hold and march back and forth. And Were they paid for this? Yes. They got a cut, a small a percentage. Cut. They got a piece. They had points on the package. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, and so, uh, as I remember, if I remember correctly here, so you you had to give the money back, but then you didn't, or well, how did this all turn out with the? Uh, your oh no, it turned shot? out great. We made like two hundred bucks, and I'm over sure my how, mo- over my, what course period just of time? A day. It was just a day. But where we lived, it was the state fair was going on, and so lots of cars were going by. So you were in a high traffic area. It was for once, since I'm from Alaska, and so where we were living, it's. It, it's a little ways out there. But. All right, then. Well, I'm already impressed. All right. Uh, so uh, if, if you can tell me, you may have already told me this, but in a general sense, what are you doing now? Um, right now, I work for, um, I'm, I'm working in an office. In I'm, an office, like clerical, data entry? Yeah, doing payroll stuff. And Are you are you proficient with numbers? Not that it necessarily not matters. Not really. Right. No. All right. At all. When is the last time you had to use your personal skills of persuasion? Uh, to have somebody either buy something or do something for you, or maybe uh, engage in something that they, you know, activity that they weren't gonna before. Uh, well, it, one of my last sales jobs was doing selling jewelry, and so you're selling like five thousand dollar rings to masses of tourists, and you know who really wants to spend that much money? So it's a it's a matter of need and not want, and so that was one of my my taglines there. It's a matter of need and not want, or a matter that? of want and not need. And so I'm, you know, I don't really need this. I'm like, it's not about need. It's about what you want, what makes you feel good. Oh, see, look at so, you. Yeah, All and right. before that, I, I sold cars for a while down what in California. Of, what kind of cars? Just anything? Or used? Um, new? Good, I, small? I sold new mainly. I wasn't very good at at used. Um, I figured the karma gods would strike me down, so I, I shied away from those. But right. Chevys and Buicks and... Uh, what was the... I mean, so what was your opening line? Guy walks on the lot. What do you say to him? I think uh, they often used me as like the... The starter of the sale. The bait. Yeah, it was yeah. a little depressing, but it was in downtown Oakland, and it was the first time <laughs> I ever. Everything in downtown seen, Oakland's depressing. Like a full gold <laughs> grill, and it was just—it was insane. But um, yeah, uh, just you know, I, I I think with sales, it's a little bit more of getting people to. So want did you to have buy an, from you? Did you like, have an opening line though when a guy would come on the lot? Um, it just you know, hey, how's it going? What are you looking for today? Get people to talk about themselves because. Did you ever find yourself using sales cliches, and if so, which ones? Um, not really, no. Well, that's a lie. Sometimes low-cut shirts with would help a bit, All but right, that's then. that's not really a cliche as much as it's just. It works. It's well, just, you know, it's his life. You know, sometimes. I was think I was actually thinking more on the line along the lines of like, what can I do to put you in this car today? But no. the judges will accept low cut shirts always <laughs> and in every scenario. No, I, I stuff like that kind of eats my soul. I'm not really into the whole super salesman. If somebody were to say to you, I don't know, I've never heard of this uh, this 9:50 a.m. whatever it is. I'm a busy. What, what what do you want from me? What's your response? The guy says, I've never really heard of it. What? what get out. What do you say to him? <laughs> well, um, I would explain that the station has a little bit of ev- something for everybody. Um, you know, Dennis Miller being a little bit more of a conservative guy, mm-hmm. but still a lot of humor. 
and even if somebody's not listening for each particular show, I think that there's at least one show on there that's going to be the hit to every audience. We, uh, it's a broad spectrum, capturing, therefore, you know, every slice of the demographic. All right. Tim, do you have uh, questions, observations, things that a salesperson or uh, a prospective salesperson should know, handle, answer, do? As a matter of fact, I, I think I have found uh, your sales pitch from when you were selling uh, Chevrolets in Oakland. <laughs> it, it, it showed up on YouTube. Am I potted up here? I'm a one thing now. Whatever you do, see the USA in your Chevrolet. America. The resemblance is staggering. Oh, how did you find that? Gosh. What was the. Is, so when you were having to. When you have to talk to. I mean, it seems like selling cars. I mean, that takes a special kind of sales skill, especially. It seems like that's a thing that you could end up going home every night just drinking yourself blind. Um, actually, most everybody I worked with was in their 50s and divorced. Um, so it was all that divorced. That must have been a fun environment. It was. It was just great. It was hey, all divorced men. It was the new meat. It, it was kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, but actually, I was very qualified because I took a week-long course beforehand called Car College. Really? And with two Ks? It was, oh, my God. A whole day practically spent to the handshake. You know, it was just, it was horribly depressing. All right. But, um, no, it, <laughs> uh, but I was only 19, I think, when I started doing it. All right. So it was, yeah. It, All right. It was just, uh, I uh, do it again. Uh, so if you had to, if I sat down, uh, you know, the phone book or whatever in front of you right now, and I said, okay, so, uh, look, we're going to have you, and I'm not going to do this business. You're going to have you cold call a business, a type of business, somebody who would be a good advertiser, a good fit with the station. What is the type of business you would pick right now if you had to go talk to somebody about advertising? Uh, the, maybe clothing, I think. You know, a cool little small, like the consignment shops or things like that, things that aren't advertising as much as I think that they should be. All right. But when you're driving around and you see a random business, and you're like, oh, I never knew that was there. If AM 970 was a film, what film would it be? Oh, Lord. I'm, I'm just going to pull the first film that came out of my, like, you know, I'll say Reservoir Dogs. There because, you go. You know. That's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> I was there. thinking of the that's picture that's saying. online. You'll never go wrong uh, on this format. You're talking about Reservoir Dogs or Ooh. Die Hard or Cool Hand Luke. So there you go. And plus, here's the thing. I like the way that you didn't really know what the answer was, but you picked one and you sold it. So... <laughs> I'm wondering, since she's from Alaska, could you see Russia from your window? Um, no, but I do remember being, when Russia was freaking out once about Alaska and the price that they paid for it, I remember just thinking, oh, I don't want to be a Russian. So, <laughs> yeah, but I was probably like three, but no, not a lot of, there's lots of Russian Orthodox churches and stuff, but no. All right, then. Uh, all right, I have, uh, I don't think I have anything else at this point except to say, and I know that this is sexist because we didn't do this with any of the guys, uh, because I know I will be asked what celebrity you most resemble by the male members of the audience. I will say, uh, Wire fans in the house, if you're watching third season Wire, or if you've watched third season Wire, the woman who is Tommy Carcetti's campaign manager, who kind of has a little <laughs> fling with Jimmy McNulty, that is who Carly most uh, resembles. So there you go. All right. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> I'm Googling. And I'll try to do it for the guys uh, you know, later on, too, so I don't look like a tool. All right, Carly, thank you so much for coming in. I dig your shoes, by the way. Wow. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, it sounds like a line, but we will be in touch one way or the other. So thank you so much for coming in. Very good. Thank All right, you very thank much. You. It was fun. All right. Uh, Richie Bristol, uh, probably not, Sarah, though, okay. no, because uh, Richie, uh, this place is a little bit of a labyrinth, so he'll kind of show you how to get out of here. All right. Thank you, Carly. Thank you. All right. right there you Bye, go. Bye, Carly. All right, it's 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970. That was Carly, so there you go. All right, I like her spunk. Yeah, she did a good job. Yeah, she did. She didn't uh, She didn't fold or anything, so. Mm -mm. How are you doing, Sarah? 
I'm doing well. I'm actually really excited for the show to be over because then that means that it's closer to the debate and then the debate will be over and then yeah. we can stop thinking about it. Uh, by the way, I should say this right now. Uh, next, uh, it, it is not happening. What the hell am I thinking about Squiggy Go? It is not happening uh, tonight. However, next, is it next Thursday or next Wednesday? When is the device? the second, right? Yeah, but I keep saying that, but then people keep saying, really? And I keep saying, I don't know. Can we find out definitively when the vice presidential debate is going to be? Like, if they don't find a reason to cancel it, uh, find out exactly when that is. Um, and then I will, uh, it doesn't really matter. I guess I can say this anyway. Uh, so, October 2nd. All right, which is what? Uh, Thursday. Okay, so Thursday, October 2nd, right here on this radio station, uh, we will be carrying, bless you, we will be carrying the vice presidential debate right here on AM 970. Uh, that is next Thursday, the 2nd. Uh, at uh, 6 p.m. So next Thursday, the 2nd at 6 p.m., we will be carrying the vice presidential debate uh, with live commentary. Uh, I am irresistibly calling this Political Science Theater 3000 because I'm lame. So uh, we'll have uh, some live running commentary uh, from myself and a few other folks, a few other special guests uh, will be joining us uh, in the studio next Thursday, the 2nd at 6 p.m. And Jim Roop, by the way, is doing the wrapper on anchoring for that, so he'll be on, too. So next Thursday, join us right here on AM 970 for Jim Roop, myself, and a few other special guests for running commentary on the VP debate. Uh, Richie Bristol, are you, uh, are, you in the, uh, are you in your room right now? Yeah. All right, can you do me a favor? I think we're going to go... Uh, can you can we obtain um, can we obtain David Landers right now? Do you have his contact info? He's trying to wake him up. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll not do that. Let's welcome Scott Daly then to the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We'll uh, try to get David Landers on here. What a day! His wife's trying to wake him up. Either wake up or don't. It's a binary state. Right. Hello, Scott Daly from FilmFeverRadio.com. How's life? Life is good. We're awfully busy at work. Uh, you are in the banking the industry, industry, in a industry, bank that yes. I will not name. Yes, a bank that's been around for 156 years and is the only nation's AAA-rated bank, which means people like us. You get, <laughs> get people your, like us these days. Getting your plug on. That's uh, right. All right. So, but it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to talk shop or anything, but I mean... I, I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. I mean, is it a stressful week? I mean, that's a dumb question, but no, I mean... you know, it, it is a stressful week because, uh, you know, there's been news, news uh, stories in the Oregonian TV news uh, all week about, about my bank and uh, how people are coming to us. They feel secure in, in what we have to offer. We've been around for so long. Um, in all these stories, you never hear about my bank. You know, my banks, whenever you hear news stories, it's about how well we're doing and how things are going going good in our world and how it's being run the You should be sure way. to point that out to everybody else. You should be sure to point out, like, everything's fine for me. No, no, no. I'm not saying for me personally. <laughs> I'm just saying for, you know, for my company I work for, right. and I also bank with them, and it's, it's nice to have that stability, and it's, it's well, good to see. I suppose. I mean, because that's it, man. You know, because, you know, I, you and I, I've joked with you in the past about, um, you know, when you uh, were recently single, and yes. Sarah and I were saying, like, you know, you're... You're a real catch, and I don't. I'm not being snarky. It's like you know, you the, you know, good-looking guy. You got the you know, you get the cool. Um, you got the cool film fever radio hookup. Working in the banking industry, which you know, and I said this. Well, that's the reason why he wasn't single for very long. Totally. <laughs> I mean, my God, what? Well, like, 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 like an like hour. A, a minute. <laughs> and I remember saying at the time, like, and you're in the banking industry, like that's a job for life. What could pot? You could never get fired from that job. And then this last week, I was thinking, like, God, I hope he doesn't get fired from that yeah. job. But it sounds like things are going stable Think, for your bank at yep. least, which is so good for you. So yes, I, it is. We're very uh, happy. All right then. We're thrilled. How are you guys? Ah, uh, wow. It's, it's, it's been a week, know, huh? It's just been one of those. It's been one of those weeks where Tim says it's like you know every day you don't every day. It's exhausting, but every day you don't want it to end because every five minutes there's like new news. There's more crap happening. Seriously, I mean, it's like I, 
And 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 I, it does. We do run the risk of just sounding like we're talking about how great we are. But I mean, I really at this. Uh, let me just put it this way, and then we'll talk about choke. Yeah. Um, I will say at this point, I really am glad that, not just for my own reasons, but I'm glad that like shows like this and this station are around. Because, I mean, if you, you know, somebody out there trying to listen to, uh, to talk radio or trying to listen to news radio to figure out what's going on. Oh, God. I mean, it's just a bunch of same jackholes out there just bumping their gums, giving you the same stupid party lines and talking points, you know, that, that mean nothing. Uh, you know, I was watching, C- God loves CNN, because they're usually very level about their commentators. But it's like they had these idiots on last night, and the guy would come on and talk about Barack Obama and say, well, clearly, all the evidence indicates that Barack Obama is the one man who can fix everything. And it's like... It, it, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but there's no evidence for that. Is you just no, you're just over. running your mouth, and then they show. Then they go to this other woman, and they say, "What about it?" And she goes, "Well, you know, uh, I got to tell you, Larry, the American people, they all trust Sarah Palin." And Lauren and I are sitting on the couch, just going, "Like, will you please just put a knife in my eye?" I mean, it's so I I really am glad that this station, this show. Uh, is here, so people have like something to listen to that's not that. No, I am too. I spent the better Jesus. part of this week in the Eugene Cottage Grove area for work, and uh, you know, down there, I I get you barely, so you know, I, I'm hopping around different stations, and that's all you get. You yep. either get Hannity, you get Larson, and that's it. Right. And it's just like, oh, please. Well, so be the un- second I picked up the station, I was like, okay, thank God. Well, it's not like Air America is any better. Well, no, they're not. There's the same thing, different flavor. So there's some loud, screechy woman Ugh. just, and let me tell you another thing about John McCain and, and my dog. <laughs> Listen to my terrible Melissa Etheridge bumper music over and over and over. And you're listening in the afternoon going like, oh, for a knitting needle for my ears. <laughs> for the love of God. All right. Uh, Choke, the movie of Chuck Palahniuk's book of the same choke name. Choke the movie, yes. Oh, so, choke so, the movie. So, so. Is so Choke going to choke at the box so. office? Oh. Uh, choke was a good movie. It's not a great movie. I like the book a lot. Uh, if I had to run them, my favorite Palahniuk book, it would be Survivors, number one. That's choke is probably number two. Um, the movie uh, is written and directed by Clark Gregg, first time director and mm-hmm. writer in the film world, starring Sam Rockwell, who is perfect for the lead role in Victor. Victor is a guy who's uh, a little more than messed up. His mother is in a home. She's mentally deranged, played by uh, Angelica Houston. Excellent. And uh, he pays for her living in this uh, care, assisted care facility by pretending to choke in restaurants. Wonderful. And uh, And when, he, when people save his lives, he connects to them, he, he feels with them, and they have to end up sending him money for his birthday and for Christmas. And every month he's sitting down at this table, adding up his dollars and saying, okay, here's what I got this month, and sends it off. And he also works at a, at a colonial um, reenactment little camp, kind of a... Kind of the village type thing where everything is is in the form of you know if it they didn't have Pepsi in the 1700s therefore there's no Pepsi at 1700s right type, type thing um, and it's the story about how he is dealing with oh and also trials sex addict groups to to get laid to get some yeah right. exactly um, and so it's a mishmash of just everything that's that that this guy is is trying to deal with um, and at the same time trying to deal with his past and who he really is and uh, is everything his mother told him growing up a lie or not um, all falling for a doctor at the hospital she's working at played by Kelly McDonald who you may, may remember as Diane from Train Spotting yeah yeah she's also no country for old men Josh Brolin's wife um, so. It's. I would say, as far as the, as far as the film is concerned, this is a really good companion piece to the book. Much like Spy Club was a very good companion piece to the book. The pieces that were in choke uh, in the book that 
I don't want to say weren't necessary, but, you know, were kind of filler, right. were taken out, and the, the film was the core of the book. Um, so reading the book and seeing the movie, you're not going to be disappointed in either, either, either which way you go. Uh, I missed a lot of it. There was, it started out with some, some narration, some, some dialogue um, over the film. But it lost it kind of as the film progressed. And I was looking for a lot of the medical terminology that Victor right. uses in the book right. and, and everything. You know, it, it Polonic style. And I didn't feel this film had that Polonic style. Um, well, he's got such a spare. Narration or, or dialogue going on in this, much like there was in Fight Club. Though. He has such a spare writing style that it almost in some ways doesn't lend itself to filmmaking. Because his style yeah. is so, so staccato and minimalist and stripped down mm -hmm. that you almost struggle to, I think, to, to make that look, you know, to make it visual. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And this is also, uh, Clark, this is not a Fast and Furious film like Fincher did with Fight Club. Right. And I don't mean to keep bringing a Fight Club, but it's the only other Polonic adaptation right. out there. Uh, this is more of a Kevin Smith-style filmmaking. Very static shots, one camera, not a lot of movement going on, which... Um, kind of slowed down the pace of the film, whereas in the book, uh, you felt it was very kind of a little fast-paced, a little more upbeat, especially what's going to happen next. Right. You didn't really kind of get that in the film, which, which again, makes it a really good companion piece. A lot of times films that are, that are adapted from books uh, just don't work on their own. This one works on its own to a certain extent, but, you know, get the book, read the movie at the same time, or switch that, get the book, watch the movie, and uh, I think it'll be pleasantly surprised. Excellent. Um, this is a very hard R film. There's a lot, a lot oh, of dude, stuff going on. You should on. see the freebie <laughs> merchandise they gave us for yeah, it. Yeah, this right here. Do you want some of my, uh, Sarah, do you want my, my choke swag upstairs? Yeah. yeah. Like this? Uh, well, there's that. Oh, yes. those are beads? Yes, they're beads. Oh, can see that? For external use only, oh, no really? doubt. Uh-huh. <laughs> have some beads. Yes, Dave Zinn gave me those when I walked in. Here, Scott, have An some An offensive love story from the author of Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. I think they yeah. gave me like a door thing. It's like do not knock orgy in session or whatever. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, a, it's a really great movie, and Sam Rockwell just chews up his character Excellent. as is Angelica Houston, who's fantastic. Uh, so so I, I enjoyed the film. I will probably buy the DVD just because I, I did enjoy it a lot. But it, it, it's again, it's no Fight Club, and I hate to say compare it to Fight Club, but uh, but it is its own thing. It's nice to see the different directions. I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do with Survivor. All right. Uh, I will uh, play us into the break here. Sarah, we'll come back after this. Uh, more from Scott Daly, Tim Riley. Uh, we'll have Scott Daly's top five teenage uh, depresso, angst-ridden, lovelorn, sulk songs. And uh, if we have a uh, chance, I have a, uh, a special high-concept topic we might roll up for a few minutes later on. Stay there. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. We return with more Around the Corner. Don't go Everybody anywhere. Sit down, quiet down, listen up. I brought you all here to recite the annual obituaries. Like every year, we'll start with A and we'll end with Z. All right, is the band ready? Ready. All right, hit it, Boils. A one and a two.
went insane. That's so loud. Can I tell you, though, at this point in my career, my deafness, I'm so glad when something is too loud. I mean, really, when it stops being too loud, that's when I know that the deafness has really taken hold. I know you never hear a peep out of Tim. <laughs> Only that one time with the Creed song. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's on a website. Do you remember we did that dumb thing uh-huh. of listening back that. to it and then listening back to us listening back to it? All right. Uh, by the way, uh, so we were going to be talking uh, today to David Landers, and it looks like a schedule conflict. He's not going to be able to do it. Uh, but we want to let you know uh, that they're going to be uh, doing a special uh, Saturday night showing of used cars, a uh, classic film, used cars, at the Laurelhurst Theater and Pub. That is uh, tomorrow, 930. Uh, admission is $5. Uh, David Landers, who, of course, was squiggy and you know, many other things, uh, he will be uh, introducing the film. They're going to be signing autographs afterward. So that is tomorrow, the Laurelhurst Theater and Pub, showing the uh, classic film, used cars, uh, 9.30 tomorrow. Oh, and also tomorrow there's a huge craft fair going on with a bunch of local, um, like, crafty designers and stuff at Plan B all day. And it's free. Excellent. That's all. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, no. though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So Washington Mutual continues to be in business and will continue to do so. Eventually, it's going to be renamed Chase. And they'll reissue all your credit cards and bank statements, but not quite yet. Uh, let's go to Seattle now, which was the birthplace of Washington Mutual. Uh, Rachel says a WAMU was getting in by the classic run-on-the-bank panic. I think people withdrawing their money, um, I know a lot of folks have. I think that actually did more harm than good. Um, but I don't think right now there's any reason to work. You know, it's funny. I got the, We were talking about people getting their money out, and I heard, I mean, not a ton, but I probably got four or five emails almost immediately from people who were customers and who took their money out, either put it in like a, a credit union somewhere uh or they or they, one guy said i stuck it in a safe it's like i took all my money out stuck it in a safe so uh duncan in seattle says bank officials are being very helpful asked them two or three months ago about you know ensuring that the balance in accounts was was at the insured levels and they were cooperative in changing accounts to do that where are you from duncan what kind of accent is that i don't know wachovia could be the next bank to sell up so they tell us so the debate is still on tonight and uh, I was just reading something somewhere that Barney Frank said a deal will be done on Sunday. But who knows? Wait, well, just just for those who are just keeping track of these things. Mm-hmm. So McCain suspended his campaign, put the brakes on the debate, gone. went to D.C., but didn't he just say yesterday that he wasn't going to leave until everything was sewn up and finished? Mm-hmm. Everything's did. not sewn up and finished, and no. yet he's going to the debate. Mm-hmm. Where's the consistency, I ask? I mean, really, I I, I, all it just seems like at this point he should have just, from if I was his political advisor, I would say you're doing that carry thing. You're just flip flopping, and you're make and if you're McCain, by the way, and I'm just saying this is a, as a, this is my my strategist coming out. He's flip flopping. He's letting it look like Obama's running the show. Uh, he looks like he isn't quite sure of what he himself wants to do. He looks like he went there, but now doesn't really care to stick around in, until it's done. I mean, it looks it really bad. Seem like he seems right. like he stands for anything. No, yeah. politically speaking, this is a bad idea. McCain should have just stuck it out. See, that I told you, they're already running ads online that say McCain wins debate. Mm-hmm. How ridiculous is Those that? Those were up there this that's morning. A, yeah, it's a screen that's cap. something that the communists do. Yes, that's right. And the Chinese. <laughs> well, wait, same thing. Uh, the Reds. Yes. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, real estate mogul Donald Trump is throwing in his two cents about the economic crisis, but who wants to listen to him? It's just another tension horn. Not going to make things easier. That's right. That's beautiful. It All right. Do we have the top five? I don't have it. No. Uh, I do. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do five, your top five. Four, three, 
Three, I'll freestyle the intro to this one, Tim. One, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting's the best thing to do. This is what the McCain campaign gets for not calling us back yesterday. And all day, like Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever we were trying to give Obama advice, his people wouldn't call us back. All day yesterday, trying to give McCain advice, his people... Come on now. I can't help you if you don't call. The advice would be gold, too. You know, why are we so unloved, Tim Riley? I don't, I don't know, but we don't need it. That's right. <laughs> F them. I can live without love. Boy, did you see that the... Uh... <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Going home and crying the cold metal tears of an unfeeling machine. I am not. I'm putting up two awnings on my rental property this week. <laughs> Did you see that CBS is all pissed off at David Letterman about the uh, Katie Couric thing? Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Uh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, so we have been doing... Uh, this all started with an offhand comment I made to Sarah like last week, I think, about the songs to which you just sort of cry yourself to sleep when you're filled with lovelorn angst. It then became lovelorn angst from your teenage years. Then I did it. Then we had uh, I don't know, somebody, then Aaron, and I did it. we had uh, um, Susan Reynolds did it, and Paddock did it. Next week, uh, Court will be doing it. Lisa Wood going to be doing it. Uh, but today, Scott Daly's top five songs of lovelorn teenage angst. These are the top five songs in which Scott Daly drowned his teenage romantic pain. Honorable mention goes to Peter Gabriel. Here comes the flood. Oh, this is a this is a different mix of this song. This is the original mix on the on his first album. This is not the one from uh, Shaking the Tree. Correct. Nor from the concert. Uh, when I saw Gabriel in Seattle a couple years ago, he opened his show. It's just him on the piano, just when doing this song. Oh, I know. Oh wow. All strange things. It's all about dreams you can't quite catch. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, this is one of the very first Peter Gabriel songs I actually heard and just was like, oh my god, this guy's phenomenal. And then hearing the lyrics, I just was like, oh. Wow. And it just, this is such a great song. Peter Gabriel has just got the voice of an angel. I mean, he's. I said this about certain Paul Simon songs and certain Brian Wilson songs that this is in secular music this is about the closest you can get to to gospel and you know to hymns in my in, in the world of secular music this is as close to hymnal as one gets and he, he runs his own show you know yeah. he does he does what he wants to do and it works wow. so well there's I have to tell you real there's a, he has this there's this album he did called Us right after his oh, divorce yeah. that I was listening to at, like in the midst of like a bad bust up god it's just Oh, that duet he does with Kate Bush. Oh, don't give up. Don't give up. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. These are top uh, Scott Daly's top five teenage lovelorn sulk songs. Number five, Depeche Mode, somebody. Of, co of course. Come on. Come it was on. inevitable. It was inevitable. I mean, this is right in the middle of me. If there, if there were emo kids in the 80s, this would be the anthem for the emos of the 80s. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I respect everybody's music taste. In a, in a way, though, this is just the most pandering song. Oh, completely. This is totally written for every teenage girl, uh, and you. Uh, <laughs> I want somebody to share, share the rest of my life. Do you know the song, Sarah? No. Uh -huh. I'll let David Cameron speak for me on this. Hey, you know, I'm not going to poke fun. I had Garth Brooks. <laughs> I mean, I, could, I just remember those Friday nights, those Saturday nights, 
waiting for the phone to call. <laughs> never. Never happens. My, my crush in high school who never knew I existed. And then always imagining, and even though it probably wasn't true, always imagining that the crush was off doing something really exciting with oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because that's the life she lived. Totally. And someday she'd find me and Flash. let me live with her. Like, just yes. you and the television. Yes. Me and Mommy Vice. Wow. Uh, I have a version of this song sung by a bunch of Belgian, like a, a girls' choir in, oh, from Belgium. Really? Yeah, the Scalia Brothers, uh, or what they call it, but it's a Belgian girls' choir, and it just kills you. Oh, wow. God, I haven't heard this song forever. It's got my heartbeat going through the whole And there's song. that song that all the things I despise, I will almost like. <laughs> right. Scott Daly, top five teenage moke songs. Number, number four, Howard Jones, No One Is to Blame. Yeah. This song is on a couple levels. One, you know, it's like you want her, she wants you, but no one is to blame. But at the same time, it's that you, you, you keep going and when you're a teenager, especially me being a lanky nerd in high school, you know, but you can't quite get it. You right. can't, you just can't grab it. You can't get what you want, but it's right there. What is this song about? I've never really listened to it. Um, well, just listen. It's, it's, it's about not, not fighting, not quite... That's Almost there, goals. but not quite. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this, for some reason, the song really stuck to me. Tim Riley? No, I just hear it like when I'm getting my oil changed. And I can hear <laughs> some things in the background. I never really quite heard the lyrics. But they always play this like, jiffy move to keep you calm or something. <laughs> this is sort of a Muzak song. You can dip your foot in the pool, but you just can't swim. Number two. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, Tim Riley. Wow. All right. Number three. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Number three. Pet Shop Boys, Always On My Mind. Yeah. yeah. One of the best covers I've ever heard. And it's such an emotional song. When Neil Tennant just dives right into it, it's it's just... Can I tell you... It's a very sad song. There was some, you know, there was some overlap with Paddock, but... You and my wife, based on this list so far, have almost exactly the same music taste. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Weird. Um, I, and I love this. I love the fact that this is, you know, this song has been covered by so many different artists. But most, most important, or most popular, Elvis Presley and uh, Willie Nelson. But, I mean, this is such a great cover. And it's a sad song. I've never heard this. I didn't know they did this. Yeah. I mean, I know the Willie Nelson version, obviously, but... And out of the Bon Jovi version. Bon Jovi did this too? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful song. Hey, is, is and again, this is this is one of those songs. Um, I used to belong. I may have talked about this in the past, but I used to when I was a kid. I, when I was a teenager, I belonged to a Masonic youth group called Di Malay. Uh huh. And uh, we'd always have dances with like the Job's Daughters and the Rainbow Girls. And you know, these, that a couple of these songs, this last one, the Howard Jones song, and this one, and my next one, were always played at the dances. But I was always stuck on the wall. The girl I wanted to dance was out <laughs> dancing with somebody else. And so I'd go home uh, and listen to these songs remember, oh, you know, I could have danced with that girl. But did I you ever didn't. ask a girl to dance, uh, like, in middle school or whatever, and have her say no? No, because I never went to middle school dances. Oh, oh, oh I did. For fear of that happening. I never went again. <laughs> I never went back. Uh, there was a girl. What the hell was her name? I blocked it out. There was a girl that I went over, and I'm like, ah, so, uh, they're playing crazy for you. Um. You want to dance? And then there was that junior high dance. Oh, no. And she she just looked. She goes, I mean, like, no. And I went, oh, okay. Gone. 
Never went back. Oh. That was the last dance I ever went to. Yeah, Jeez. no, the uh, Masonic youth dances were a lot more entertaining than the school this, dance. Related to this really quickly, you know, this reminds me of something. You know, a song I'd never heard until Lara introduced me to it was the song um, Ola More by Erasure. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd never heard. What a great song that is. That's a fantastic is. song. You know when I heard that song for the first time? Like last year when I went to London. I'd never heard it before. They, that, no, I didn't know. Well, that's true. That's true. No, no I was all metal and whatever. I was trying to be like a you know, trying to be like a like a dude and trying to be hard. She she took me to see Erasure in Brixton. Oh, um, oh my god. That and was fantastic. uh and they they sang and I guess it's like their big hit or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, you know, and he sang it with a puppet. He brought out a hand puppet. <laughs> and he's like What's that, Mr. Monkey? And the monkey's like, I want to sing a song. And he's like, well, okay, Mr. Monkey, if you think you can. And he puts the monkey, like, next to him up at the microphone. And the monkey opens his mouth and goes, Hola, amor. And the crowd, ah. Oh, that's and I'm like, so this great. is a great song. Is this new? And she oh. looked at me and she goes, no, you're a retard. This song is, like, 20 years old. I would love to see Erasure, Massive Attack, Trick. I would love to see it. They were good. They were great shows. I, I saw them at the uh, the Hard Rock in Vegas for 15 bucks. Really? Oh, really? Were oh, they good? Excellent. Yeah, yeah, they put on a great show. Yeah. Scott yeah. Daly's Top 5 Teenage Mope Songs, number two. Number two, the OMD if you leave. Come on. Yeah. I knew Sarah would like this one. <laughs> oh, no, but you know what's interesting? Um, do you, uh, you know who opened for Erasure when I saw them last year? Was, it wasn't them, but it was like their new project. It was like all the guys but one with oh. a different name. Oh, really? Yeah, it was OMD under a different name opened for Erasure last year. I saw OMD when they opened for Power Station in 1987. The Power yeah. Station. Yeah. Except Robert Palmer did not tour with them. Do you remember who did tour with, with them? Not Robert Palmer. Yeah, Robert Palmer. Phil Collins. <laughs> Wasn't he? Didn't he drum for the Power Station? No, no I'm thinking of somebody Tony else. Thompson. Tony Thompson. Yeah. Uh, Robert Du. Oh, I can't. DeBarge? No. DeBarge. I can't remember who it was now. Robert. Replacing Robert Palmer. DeBarge. That doesn't Never work. That, that failed miserably. Sorry. No. Uh, no. This is. I mean, come on. A is from Pretty Thing. B, it is like the pinnacle high school dance song. Totally. And again, me in the John corner, Hughes. you know, doing nothing. Just, ooh. You know, looking, all, <laughs> looking at all the pretty girls dancing with all the guys. If so only I, I wasn't so nothing. gangly. That's right. That's right. Oh, by the way, my brother uh, sent me a text message about this. So he gets credit. But my brother referred to McCain already as having been postponed. There you go. The debate postponed for McCain. It's a pretty song. No getting around that. It's a nice song. And my, my number one song is, is quite different than everything else on this list. Scott Daly's number one teenage mope song, Tim Riley. Number one, Tom Waite, Innocent When You Dream. Oh, you just put this on here to suck up to Joni. I did not. Why would I want to suck up to Joni? Joni, I That's love you Joni saying now, that. but... Tim Riley, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> greatest news fan in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Top of the air all the way through like us. This is the very first song I ever heard from Tom Waits. In, you know, in my teenage years, discovering music, mm-hmm. and I heard this song, and it just crushed me. It's such a beautiful song. Fast forward about ten years later, there's a movie called Smoke. I don't know if you remember it. Harvey Keitel. Harvey Keitel owns a little cigar shop in Brooklyn. And it's kind of the story of the day-to-day life that's going on there. And William Hurt plays a writer whose wife is killed, um, and they become friends. And William Hurt has to write this Christmas story. And so Harvey Keitel says, I'll tell you what, you buy me lunch. I'll tell you the best Christmas story you ever heard. Right. You, you get to the end of the movie. They're sitting at the table talking about the talking about and Kaitel's telling the story. The camera very very slowly just pans in on Kaitel's face. The whole story. Right. That's all you get for the story. At the end of the film, during the credits, they actually show the story being told by Kaitel with no dialogue, but with this song oh, playing cool. over it. And it just. Oh, it's just rushing. It's such a beautiful song, but sad. And it's one of the few times I've cried in a movie theater thanks to a song. Excellent. So I had to throw this movie back up there again. 
There you go. Scott Daly's Top 5 Teenage Mope Songs. We'll take a break. We'll come back after this. How uh, On the other side, how many minutes are we going to have here? We'll have three minutes on the other side. Five? All right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, tonight, of course, presidential debate. McCain, Obama. Uh, mini sort of high concept thing here. It is the presidential debate drinking game. So it is 503-733-2970. Tonight's Take a Drink Every Time. Blank. It's 503-733-2970. Tonight's debate Take a Drink Every Time. Blank. We'll be back after this. Don't go anywhere. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Standing in for Robert Palmer on the power station, Michael DeBar. Michael DeBar, that's what I was thinking of, yes. From Detective, Detective Show. That's right. He was also in WKRP one of the episodes. Michael DeBar? Yeah. What did he play? I don't remember. Uh, I think a visiting jock or something. This is like in the last couple seasons. I wonder if he was the... Uh, no, no, no. I think he might have been on... I think Michael DeBar might have been that WKRP reboot they did in the 80s. You know I don't what? know. You yeah, know, Chris Paddock right. will find me in the hallway later right. and tell me. Uh, <laughs> 503-732-970. Like us next. Uh, Michael Maris Show at 7. Uh, Miles around tomorrow, 9 to 11. And Musicology with Kristen Bowie and Timmy Ryan, Sunday, 7 to 9. Don't forget, uh, we will be carrying the vice presidential debate next Thursday, 6 p.m., along with running commentary by myself and uh, an all-star cast of, you know, whoever. Two. Uh, <laughs> <two>. <laughs> Most sarcastic. Me! Uh, all right, it is High Concept Friday, supplemental High Concept topic. Tonight, the, uh, the presidential debate tonight with uh, John McCain and Barack Obama. So, your High Concept topic today for the drinking game tonight, take a drink every time they blank. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Tonight, take a drink every time they blank. Spark. <laughs> okay. No. Oh Really? I love your right. audience. Try it again. Tonight, take a drink every time they what? They say new direction. There you go. See, there you go. That's off to a good start. That's what I'm talking about right there. Every time they say new direction. Sarah, do you have a, a contribution? I say every time, well, a specific, every time Obama says change. Yes. And you will be... You'll be blitzed. S face <laughs> in like two minutes. Scott Daly? Uh, anytime the word inexperienced or unprepared or not enough not enough experience. Or community right. organized. Community organized. Right. Yeah. No, inexperienced. Uh, high Concept Friday. Tonight in the presidential debate, you will take a drink every time they what? Hello? Hello. Hi. Yes, it's you, sir. <laughs> hey, Rick. Uh, yeah, every time John McCain says, my friends. My friends. Oh. He does that a lot, too. I mean, I don't know. So do I. But uh, All right. There you go. Thank you so much. Right. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. High Concept Friday tonight in the debate. Take a drink every time they what? Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Hi. Uh, every time McCain repeats the last phrase or word in a sentence, and you will know their name, and you will know their name. Does he do that? He does that all the time. And he started it with the whole, uh, I don't know, that big old speech he made. But he repeats, like, the last phrase. It's a little something... He's like Johnny two times. Get the papers. Get the papers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, Christopher, I sent you the picture of the vagina cake. Uh, oh. Vagina cake? Yeah, I see I was repeating there. Oh. All right. All right. All right. We got to run. Thank you, sir. All right. Okay, bye. bye. All right. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Tonight, take a drink every time they what? Every time either Obama or McCain says, look here. Did they say look here? Obama well, says Obama, it a lot. Obama says it a lot, and now McCain is saying it. Check it out. All right, look, look here. here. Duly noted. All right, thank you, sir. Yo, are we sure that that debate is going to happen tonight? They claim it is. I mean, anything's right. possible. I'll be tuned in. Thanks. Re thank you. I think they're en route. I was looking, and they said that McCain has boarded his plane. Rick Emerson showed tonight during the debate, take a drink every time they what? Rape storm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, wow. Was that, uh, was that a comment or was that like a request? Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. <laughs> Jesus. Hello, hi. You can't possibly uh, top that, but uh, tonight take a drink every time they what? Blink. I'm sorry? Blink. Blink. You Thank you. a lot when you lie. Okay, oh, I see. Uh-oh. So you're you're anticipating that they will be nervous and therefore their blinking will have a certain rapidity to it. McCain looks like a strobe light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson program. Tonight during the uh, debate, take a drink every time they what? Answer a question with a completely different answer. Totally. Or, yeah, or yeah, answer, uh, answer a question that they wish they had been asked instead of the one they really were asked. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, sir. 503-733-2970. Uh, tonight, during the uh, presidential debate, you should take a drink every time they what? Every time they uh, 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 start a answer with a. Uh. Uh, McCain uh, <laughs> owned. McCain does that a lot. McCain yeah. does it a lot more. Obama sprinkles a lot more in the actual sentence itself, though. I've noticed that. True, especially if it's uh, something off topic of what they're expecting. Completely. I was told that I would. Uh, damn it! I don't want that question. Uh, right. uh, there would be no math. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Rick Emerson show tonight. Take a drink every time they what? Every time they ask a question. You mean they every, ask a question? You mean the moderator or the candidates themselves? <laughs> eh, no, probably you lose. Themselves. Bad call. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Tonight during the debate, take a drink every time they what? McCain says fundamental and Obama says hope, but unfortunately hope is just disappointment delayed. All right, thank you. Hope is just disappointment <laughs> delayed. That's going to be the new motto of the Rick Emerson Show. That's a shiny outlook. Uh, it used to be the... That's a, that, no, we're not going to allow No, no, no. Bad caller. Wow. Jesus, people are going crazy. Everyone is nuts. It's present company included. Totally. All right, I want to thank Scott Daly from FilmPeopleRadio.com. New episode up now, yes? Yes, sir. It is up. Choke Review, a review of Cthulhu as well, shot here in Oregon. Excellent. We want to thank Cena Radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins and Bob Costantini. Uh, and somebody else on? I'm forgetting somebody else. And Lisa again. And Lisa again. Don't forget showing used cars tomorrow night at the Laurelhurst. Uh, see you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Have a good weekend. Watch out for snakes. Bye now. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. She is a typical white person.